You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 582. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 24th of August, 2023. A helicopter pilot flees after a crash, leaving behind injured passengers. A United Airlines pilot attacks an airport parking lot gate with an axe. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 582 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. In the morning, you APGers out there around the world. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the most, uh, well, I'm gonna. I'm not going to say that anymore. We're just one of the many great Amer- uh, aviation podcasts out there, we think anyway. And we cover the latest in aviation news and we answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a uh, pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States. And joining me today from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot... Retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hello there, Jeff. Lovely to be back on the show. And let's hope it's a nice smooth one, as long as my digestive system doesn't get in the way. Okay. Hopefully it settles down. And great to see you, sir. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier. Yeah, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. There's a touch of fall in the air here now. It's a little chilly, but it's nice. I'm liking it. Yeah, rub it in. It's hot here. I don't know what it's like in England. What's like, what is it like in England, sir? Oh, um, low 20s. Very pleasant. Oh, very nice. nice. Okay. Have a good show, you guys. Cheers, okay. Liz. We'll hear you in the control room, hopefully. And let's go ahead and dive right into the aviation news. Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with uh, kind of relatively breaking news. This just happened yesterday. An Embraer Legacy 600 jet crashed in Russia. And not a lot of information about this uh, crash yet. Uh, The Embraer EMB-135BJ Legacy 600 uh, owned by, according uh, supposedly, the uh, Wagner Group, which is... uh, 
has uh, involvement in the uh, in the conflict over in that area of the world, and uh, have some video I'd like to play of uh, the airplane basically just dropping out of the sky. Here we go. Um, we see and hear the. I'm not sure if the jets engines that we're hearing are coming from this uh, Legacy 600 or not. And it's uh, basically we're not we're looking at a cloud. There we go. Now we see the uh, jet falling from the sky. It appears. Exactly. Liz, would you stop talking in Russian? I'm, it's hard for me to understand what I'm trying to say here. I'm, I'm, oh, wait a minute. No, that's the video. Okay. Let me uh, lower the volume on that. Um, and uh, yeah, so the thing kind of just in a very flat, um, almost like a flat spin, sort of, uh, coming out of the sky, and and then it crashes. And uh, I'll stop the uh, video, and then Liz, if you'll show uh, the slides that I have in there regarding the tail section, uh, they say the reports are that the tail section fell uh, apart from or uh, away from the uh, the main aircraft wreckage and uh, obviously this is uh, these are photos taken from uh, some kind of a russian site called 112 <laughs> which they kind of put there on the photos just to, so they get credit yeah the copyright um, anyway we're using them for you know for news and uh, so there's the picture of the tail i can't tell from these photos nick you know if uh, it does look like some kind of Damage to the um, uh, the the metal um, of the uh, of the vertical stab, but I don't. Or is that just like foliage that we're looking at there? If you can go backwards one, Liz, maybe see if that's. Uh, I can't really tell from this angle. Yeah, it's it's folded. Leading edge is sort of folded over a bit, but it's not what I would describe as classic shrapnel damage uh, that you might expect from a, a missile. It depends, of course, on the type of missile. But uh, um, So it looks like it was in reasonable condition when it broke free, but why it broke I mean, there are suggestions that he was shot down, but we've no real evidence for that yet. Yeah, I was I was thinking that uh, as Lindsay is saying in our live audience, uh, an internal explosion is suspected. So, I guess something that would be up in that area uh, of the of the tail section or in the very aft part of the uh, aircraft that would have taken care of that. I would imagine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing if there is an internal explosion, it depends entirely where it is, what kind of speed they were doing. So having you know blown up, say, a big hole in the side of the aircraft, how much the structure would be willing, capable of withstanding. Uh, so much conjecture, but of course we, we've we all heard the, the news, the situation that occurred a few months ago when uh, the Wagner Group uh, apparently started to march on Moscow, uh, and that all looked a bit nasty for uh, the government, uh, or the president anyway. Um, so this this might possibly be uh, a little bit of payback, or it might have just been an unfortunate accident. Yeah, really not sure. There's a lot know. of uh, interesting things happening in that, as I said, of that part of the world. But I just wanted to mention it because it is aviation related, and at this oh, point, we don't know, sure. you know, if this is a, a shoot down or a, 
or an internal explosion or just something that uh, happened uh, to occur in that area of the world that Maybe may have occurred anywhere else. Someone was having digestive issues on the plane. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, this is suggesting someone might have had my problem, a little bit of digestive <laughs> Some explosive issues. issues. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess we can remove that, uh, ma'am. And uh, so just wanted to mention that. That was something that, uh, that was new in the uh, aviation news channels. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about that as time goes on. Or maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Um, we can move on to the next item in the news. It's an update on our wrinkly airplane that uh, was actually our cover art a couple of shows ago. Uh, the all the wrinkles. Uh, what was the name of that? Uh, what's another wrinkle? Add more, what's more wrinkles? Yeah, what's more wrinkles or something like that. Anyway, uh, and uh, it involves the United seven sixty seven three hundred that had a very firm touchdown in. Houston uh, Intercontinental IAH um, on August 19, 2023, the NTSB released their preliminary report. Uh, the flight crew reported that the first officer was a pilot flying and the captain was a pilot monitoring. Well, there you go. It was the FO flying. <laughs> what else do you need to know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> poor FO. I know, I'm just kidding. Uh, the departure from Newark <laughs> and the crew segment of the flight was uneventful upon arrival at um, Houston Intercontinental Airport. They were cleared for the Doobie 2 uh, arrival and the ILS 26 left approach. According to the flight crew, the airplane was fully configured for landing on speed and in compliance with the company's stable approach criteria, and the initial touchdown on the main wheels was, was normal. And then it kind of went south from there. Uh, the FO stated that after the main landing gear touched down, he held aft pressure on the control yoke to keep the nose wheel from hitting the runway. However, the nose wheel made contact with abnormal force. The airplane appeared to bounce, and he reacted by pulling aft on the control yoke in an effort to keep the nose wheel from impacting the runway a second time. Subsequently, the speed brakes deployed, the auto brakes engaged, which resulted in a second bounce of the nose wheel. He deployed the thrust reversers and the airplane began to decelerate. The captain assumed control of the airplane and the remainder of the landing rollout was normal with no risk of runway overrun or excursion. A preliminary review of the flight data recorder revealed that the after the initial uh, touchdown on both mains, the aircraft rolled to the left and the right main gear actually lifted up off of the runway surface. Subsequently, the nose wheel touched down with a gravitational force equivalent uh, to about 1.4 G and bounced. The speed brakes deployed. The nose wheel impacted the runway a second time with a force of 1.6 G, followed by another bounce. The right thrust reverser deployed. The nose wheel impacted the runway again with a force of about 1.6 G, followed by the deployment of the left thrust reverser. Uh, Post-accident examination of the airplane revealed substantial damage to the crown of the upper fuselage. And just as we showed uh, in the previous episode, looking at that damage, it's hard for me to believe that that's going to be something that they're going to be able to fix. That looks like a complete yeah, whole loss to me. They'll just get a Rick with a bit of his uh, ironing expertise. Oh. Mm. And uh, he'll get up there and iron that flat, I think, without any problem. Yeah, I think that uh, that might be something. I mean, uh, that would definitely be extreme ironing. Um, if oh, you definitely, ask me. yes, indeed. Uh, there's a, an example of that extreme ironing <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah, look has at a, him taking the wrinkles out of that. Hey, Rick, speak up a little bit. We can't hear you. Now, 
don't know if he's got his mic turned on. No, he, he thinks the microphone's on, but it's muted, I think. Uh, no, no, we can't hear you. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, a lot of let him get back he's to a, the <laughs> task at hand. steaming great pilot. He is. a great pile of what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. Um, anything else to say other than, wow. Well, you know, <laughs> I've heard hard... of people landing nose wheel first and sort of wheelbarrowing, which leads into a bit of a PIO between nose wheel and main wheel. And I've heard of people landing very heavily, uh, causing the aircraft to bounce, uh, leave the runway, and they usually, often, sometimes these situations occur when they overcorrect, try to keep the airplane down, and then they end up in this nose wheel, main wheel, bounce, nose wheel, main wheel, bounce, getting progressively worse. But this sounded, you know, it's always um, suggested that if you've got a nice stable approach, it will generally lead to a nice landing. Uh, and it seemed like this was the situation. They, they, you know, were flying a stable approach. They had everything sort of in the box. They all looked good, and including um, – the main landing gear touched down, um, and it appeared to be normal. So I'm trying to work out what on earth was occurring with uh, both, you know, with the controls to cause this really quite substantial problem. I was thinking that what has to do, it must have to do with the fact that uh, the winds were just like crazy high winds and <laughs> whatever and so we can see here the metars from the uh, uh time okay. frame uh th 150 at three knots 220 at yeah. five knots uh, not a lot of wind pretty That's crazy wild. yeah yeah so i don't know so it's it sounds like rather than just letting the wheel settle and just gently allowing the airplane to read uh derotate or helping it if it doesn't look like it's going to uh he made a, an inappropriate push with the control column yeah, or an inappropriate pull in one case. So I'm not sure. No. Nope. Really not sure. Well, that's just the preliminary report, so we'll have to wait and see uh, what they come up with uh, next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, wow. Talking about a crash and run. That's what we have here. It's in Canada. Uh, oh, Canada. There you go. Um, oh, well, that explains everything. Yeah. A helicopter crash investigation has turned into a manhunt in rural British Columbia after the pilot of a Robinson R-44 uh, left three injured passengers at the scene of the accident. <laughs> That's not nice. Uh, according to Castanet, the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police are now looking for the pilot with his passengers while his passengers recover in local hospitals near Enderby, uh, B.C., about 200 miles northeast of Vancouver. The helicopter crashed August 12th in a shallow, shallow? Hmm. A shallow section of the Shushwap River. Shushwap, Sh yeah. Shushwap, very good. About 20 miles east of Enderby uh, after apparently hitting a power line. The initial investigation determined four people were on board the helicopter when it crashed into the riverbed. Uh, three of the individuals were transported to the hospital with what are believed to be non-life-threatening injuries. One person, believed to be the pilot, left the scene in a vehicle prior to the arrival of emergency personnel and remains unaccounted for. And sadly, also a small dog that was on the helicopter was later yeah, found chihuahua. dead. Oh, a chihuahua. Oh. Uh, they are small dogs. 
Um, anyway, the pilot is apparently notorious in the area for his low-level flights in the R-44. He has not been officially identified by the police, but numerous witnesses have come forth saying they saw him flying the helicopter at low altitude over the river and in other locations in the area, which is a mix of farmland and forest. An hour before the crash, a resident snapped a photo of the helicopter landing on the roof of a building on top of a hydroelectric dam, which I believe is what we're showing right now in our video. Um, the helicopter has a U.S. registration, November 7529 Mike, and was last registered to Quicksilver Air in Fairbanks, Alaska. That registration was canceled on July 6 when the aircraft was sold to a Canadian owner, but it does not appear to have been added to the Canadian registry. Hmm. So an unregistered... That's not good. I'm wondering if the pilot of this thing actually is a, uh, is a licensed certified pilot uh, for this helicopter. Yeah. I don't know. So not very, I guess he had a reason to leave the scene of the accident, right? I mean, you, you would think that, you know, that he would stay there and render aid to his friends. I don't know if they're friends <laughs> or not, but. Unless there was a very good reason he didn't want to stick around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you have your thoughts, don't you? I wonder if he was uh, qualified, licensed. Mm -hmm. uh, or whether he felt he would be held responsible uh, for the accident, um, or he, and you know this might add to his problems. Is he impaired, perhaps? Too. You never it know. seems to Indeed. me that uh, that that being a not a heavily populated area, and obviously uh, the the statement that he was notorious to a lot of people that lived up in the area. I think they know who this person is, and I'm not sure how far he thinks he's going to get, you know, before they be catch up with him. There was a vehicle right there to pick him up and take him away. Yeah, so we'll have to... Uh, oh, yeah, indeed. Um, I wonder if he was the owner of the helicopter. I mean, they're not cheap pieces of kit. I don't know. Oh. Well, why don't we look up the Canadian registration? Oh, never mind. It's not, yeah. not <laughs> registered. Yeah, I don't know. Tough. We'll yeah. see if we find out more. We'll try to mm -hmm. keep our eyes and ears open, see if we find out anything more regarding that story. Um, oh, this is a sad one. Um, a pilot collapses and dies in the lavatory of a Boeing 787. Um, it was a commercial flight from Miami to Chile, prompting an emergency landing in Panama on Sunday night, according to sources on board the airplane. Ivan Andor... Uh, and uh, and uh, 56 years old, was at the helm of the Santiago-bound LATAM Airlines flight around 11 Jeff, p.m. just remind me, where's the helm of an airplane? I can't quite remember. Um, I think it's uh, somewhere near the keel. I'm not sure. I might, um, uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think they mean he was the captain. I think that's what they're trying oh, to say. Okay. But they're trying to use Flying some ship language, I guess. Yeah, he was flying yeah, that sucker. So. Just, just wondering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his, uh, he uh, suffered an apparent cardiac arrest. His two co-pilots were forced to make an emergency landing at uh, Tucumán International Airport in Panama City as a nurse and two doctors on board rushed to save him, the paper reported, the son, I think. Uh, unfortunately, we did not have the necessary or sufficient supplies to perform a good resuscitation, said the nurse, who was identified only as Isadora 
on social media. LATAM needs to improve the issue of protocol in case of health and medical emergencies like this, where lives can be saved, but the resources are needed. I wonder if that means they didn't have um, one of those defibrillators uh, on board the airplane. I would imagine they would. I don't know if they're required to or not. I guess maybe that uh, is something that's regulated by um, Chile's um, uh, certifying and regulatory agency, whatever that is. So uh, perhaps they're not required to have it. Um, Anyway, uh, the article continues, it wasn't immediately clear what resources she was referring to. One passenger said a co-pilot asked if there were any doctors on the plane about 40 minutes after takeoff. And uh, yeah, so it looks like he, there's some pictures here. I think maybe you've already shown some of them, uh, Liz, where one of them shows him appear. Apparently he was in the, um, uh, the Chilean uh, Air Force because it looks like he uh, uh, there's a snapshot of him wearing a helmet and oxygen mask. Looks like he's wearing a flight suit. So um, just based on that photo alone, I'm thinking that he may have been a former military pilot before he uh, started flying for LATAM. Um, the article continues, they told us that they were going to land because the pilot felt sick. And when we arrived, they asked us to evacuate the plane because the situation had worsened said a passenger who was not identified. Um, Looks like LATAM booked the passengers into hotels in Panama City, and then they resumed the flight on Tuesday. Uh, According to um, uh, the airline, all the necessary protocols were followed during the flight to safeguard the life of the affected pilot. Unfortunately, after landing and receiving further medical assistance, the pilot passed away. Uh, LATAM is deeply saddened by this event, and takes this opportunity to express our most sincere condolences to the family of our employee. And uh, we here at the APG do as well. Rest in peace, uh, Captain. Absolutely. It's always sad to lose uh, one of our own. Uh, I would hope that it wasn't a case of they couldn't be bothered to put defibs on their aircraft. But, mm-hmm. be, but then again, not every uh, heart attack can be resuscitated, and uh, sometimes it needs additional drugs, which you are perhaps less likely to have on an airplane compared with a hospital or an ambulance. So uh, um, that might be the situation. We can't speculate too much, I'm afraid, but very sad that he lost his life doing, I guess, what he loved. He looks like he's a pretty adventurous sort of guy. Mm -hmm. I love his motorcycle. Uh, Yep, and... uh, is obviously a well-qualified pilot, and uh, they're in short supply. They are. They are. And, and here's another, let's see, let's fast forward into the future when we don't have any, or we only have one pilot on board. Nah, if yeah. he were the one pilot on board, it would <laughs> not have worked out well. I <laughs> uh, just thought I'd throw that in. Um, let's uh, continue with this next item. A private jet crashes. Uh, on the outskirts of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia's capital and largest city, killing all eight people on board and two people on the ground. Uh, So let me hit play here and uh, let's see this video here and look how close it got to this vehicle that had the uh, dash cam going. Horrifying moment at a private jet crashed and exploded into a fireball in Malaysia. Look at pieces flying all over the place. Plane nosedived onto the tarmac in 
Uh, I think two people were killed on the ground, I yeah, believe. Some that's what, yeah, yeah, I just read that. Tragically, all eight passengers and crew members and uh, two motorists were also killed when the plane smashed into the highway. That's a shame. The cause of the crash Golly, is currently unknown. It's pretty dramatic, isn't it? It is. I think later in this uh, video, Nick, uh, they're going to show, yeah, up in yeah, the upper um, center there, boom, it there. kind of slams down. And I think the video slows it down a little bit. Uh, we show that again. Uh, by the way, this is from the Mail, uh, M-A-I-L, online, uh, UK um, news source. And here we go. Boom. It. Uh, oh, that's a pretty dramatic uh, attitude he was in. Yes, it was. No telling what caused that. I'm wondering if it was just they got too slow and they stalled the uh, jet or something and they came down. Because they weren't, yeah. I think the story says that they were, you know, coming in for landing and they they had already received landing clearance. So they're right. pretty close to the airport. Yep. Yeah, there's a picture of the plane just before it's smashed down. You can see it. Right. Yeah. Totally. A person in a motor on a motorcycle and another in a car were uh, on the ground and they were killed by the uh, by the crash. Yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll hear what went on here. Uh, how uh, they got themselves into the situation. Yep. Okay. No idea. Nope. The next item in our news is uh, this from the. Aviation Herald, an Alaska Airlines Boeing 737-800 registration, November 516 Alpha Sierra, performing flight 1288 from Seattle, Washington to Santa Ana, California, John Wayne, uh, landed on Santa Ana's runway 20 right at 2314 local time, so uh, kind of late, 11.14 p.m. on August 21st, touchdown hard, causing the left main gear strut uh, being punched through the left wing. The aircraft came to a stop on the runway and was disabled. There were no injuries, and the aircraft sustained substantial damage. And uh, Liz is showing some of the, yeah, look at that uh, left strut punching through the uh, near the wing root of the uh, left wing. And I do have a little bit of video here that uh, shows the uh, view from the uh, passenger compartment coming in just not and very nice weather does it yeah it's late and looks like a little a little um turbulence yeah looks like it's raining you're right I, I heard that alarm going off and i thought it was something in, in our talkback channel and uh and it turns out that that um alarm that you heard going off was actually in the video that we were playing uh steve horn hey steve 
um, in our live audience said, comments from an Alaska friend of mine. They pride themselves in being Alaska bush pilots who fly in every weather. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Hillary was hitting the area. Okay, so you have some some uh, nasty weather for Southern California. That's not normal for, um, you know, Santa Ana, John Wayne, Orange County Airport. Um, I'm not sure. Do we have UH information Black about... Blackhawk says the alarm caused the accident. The alarm caused the accident. Okay, yeah, I think... Fair enough. <laughs> it may have, have been it. Yeah, distracted the pilot. Going, <laughs> oh, good Lord, it's time for my coffee. Would you shut off the alarm? <laughs> <laughs> I can't focus on lit. Bam! Ah, Darn it. Another Um, comment from Steve here. Okay. Steve also says they uh, shouldn't have been flying into such a short runway in that weather. It's tight on its own, minus the weather. Well, let's take a look at the weather, shall we? Uh, Looks like um, winds were uh, obviously a factor around this time frame, uh, showing uh, 140, uh, 14 gusts 26. So that's a pretty good crosswind. Um, And two miles visibility, light rain, um, 2200 over. And, uh, and then the other, um, METAR, uh, that occurred, uh, before I think this, uh, landing, uh, a few minutes before, uh, two statute miles in heavy rain, the plus RA is heavy rain and mist. Uh, so yeah, it, the conditions were not ideal, uh, to say the least. Um, yeah. No, they had a peak, a peak wind of uh, 26 knots, 13026, which is, you know, about 70 degrees off the runway heading. So, yeah, uh, that was 53 uh, after the hour. So that was about uh, about a half an hour after they landed. So I would imagine and that, that one, that 05, uh, 605Z, I don't see any winds at all listed there, do you? That auto... Um, information about no, the winds i don't i just uh, perhaps they generated just because the rain had become heavy uh, so okay it might have been a, a significant change it's it's very it's very close to the previous one it's only right. uh uh at 13 minutes 12 minutes after mm-hmm. yeah so uh just a, a case uh as um our live audience member steve says here you know they they of course, I don't know. You know, we are uh, all airline pilots out there. We're qualified to fly in all these situations, and then it just uh, requires a decision to be made by the uh, commander, the captain, whether or not uh, we're going to, uh, you know, it, all the conditions are safe enough for me to safely operate the uh, flight. And uh, yeah, in this case, looks like uh, maybe a miscalculation. Maybe they shouldn't have attempted. But again, this is all uh, surmising based on the little information that we have. But at uh, yeah, uh, and again, it didn't look like it was too bad until well, even when it, it dropped out of the sky onto that wheel. It, it, I, I was thinking, oh, this seems to be going reasonably well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to tell looking sideways out of a window. But uh, could there have been wind shear, Jeff? It could have, although I didn't see any wind shear warnings. But anytime you have gusty winds like that, you have the uh, potential for a wind shear encounter. But this, you know, even in the best of weather, um, Orange County, Santa Ana is a very 
demanding um, airport to land uh, because yeah, it's a very short runway. And uh, yeah, as a UH Blackhawk in our live audience says, SNA can be challenging in good conditions. And he is absolutely correct about that. And so you throw in these not so great conditions and you can see it was quite a challenge and uh, just um, didn't work out um, very well. But fortunately, no no injuries on on this flight. So, but the aircraft, as I said, substantial damage. So I'm sure we'll hear more about that as the investigation continues. And uh, this next one is from the New York Times. And they, uh, they published a very long article. Obviously, we're not going to uh, read this whole thing, but we will have it linked in our show notes. Um, and it, um, after uh, Liz had already selected it for our coverage in the news segment, um, Jonathan in Minneapolis, I guess, also sent uh, some feedback to us regarding this. He said, saw this pretty interesting New York Times story today about aviation close calls. It includes some interesting graphics and depictions of close calls from the last month. Let's state clearly up front that nothing bad happened in any of these cases. So that's good. But how close were they? Uh, That's hard to tell. Wondering if you all have opinions or any opinions on whether these truly close calls were the grace of God, good luck, and TCAS saved us from disaster, or whether this is a sort of normal interaction in crowded airspace. And do you, in your professional experience, feel like that these sort of events are happening more often than they used to? And finally, do these examples bring to mind any close calls from your own flying experience you would like to share? Clear skies, etc. Jonathan in Minneapolis. So, um, yeah, I, uh, the writer of this article, um, just in the the third paragraph of the story, I think was being a little over dramatic when they talked about a an American flight to Dallas traveling at more than five hundred miles per hour when a collision warning blared in the cockpit. So they obviously are saying a, a, a RA, a, a reactive. Um, now why can't resolution, think, resolution advisory? Thank you. <laughs> That's what R no stands for. Uh, an air traffic controller had mistakenly directed a United Airlines plane uh, to fly dangerously close. The American pilot had to abruptly yank the Airbus A321 <laughs> up <laughs> 700 feet. So is that what you Americans to do? Do yeah. Well, we're you, yanks. You're yeah, ab- abrupt yanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's what we do here. Now, so an RA maneuver, uh, resolution advisory, uh, should not require anything more than a very slight climb or descent or, or maintaining your, uh, level, your, your altitude, uh, depending on the situation. And uh, I mean, it's possible they could have abruptly yanked the Airbus, uh, A321 yeah, up 700 feet. Generally but necessary. No, and it's probably not what happened at all. This is just the, in the mind of the journalist. This is what must have happened, but uh, I think that was a little uh, overdramatic. What would you say, Liz? Sort of sensationalism Yeah, there. sensationalism, of course. Anytime you're talking aviation, you got to make it sensational. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the, the story goes on to uh, talk about several instance, incidents that have happened in recent months and uh, in kind of identifying one uh, seems to be one of the major problems here, and that's the understaffed uh, air traffic control system here with the increase of traffic after the COVID um, pandemic. People are coming back in droves to fly everywhere and kind of make up for 
a couple of years of uh, very limited flying. And uh, the uh, staffing levels, I think anybody that has anything to do and knows anything about air traffic control here in the U.S. would readily admit, yeah, uh, we we are, you know, very understaffed. I don't know if you want to say, you know, dangerously understaffed, maybe. Uh, but, um, you know, the system, thankfully, you know, knock on wood or whatever you want to do, has um, has worked uh, and and kept you know big pieces of metal from hitting each other, but you know that's uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Nick. But I I'm thinking, man, it's just you know we're getting away with a lot here, and I I, I have a, a very very bad feeling that um, it's finally going to catch up with us eventually. We've uh, seen a number of incidents that have come uncomfortably close to a major accident. Uh, and that it really does make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because a number of them have uh, have been potential, you know, the Tenerife accident again. Um, so that, that that does worry me. Uh, I think a lot of the incidents that he has used to uh, justify his comments in the article are fairly straightforward and probably occur on a pretty regular basis uh, regardless. Um, but um, it's the ones that, um, the major ones, the ones where you barely got away with it that really concern me. And you eventually, you know, the, one of those is going to turn into an actual accident. It's, it's you know, the, the laws of the world <laughs> are going to keep these airplanes completely apart by luck forever. Eventually, one of them is going to uh, just happen, and it will be awful. And I, I hate that um, often it needs uh, a dreadful accident before um, real action is taken. It does worry me that uh, it's not sufficient, it, despite the fact that the NTSB are highlighting these occurrences and the number of them and the severity of them, uh, saying that this is this is a significant problem. This should be a wake up call. Why do we need to wait until we've had a major accident before we take action? But sadly, in the past, that has often been the case. You know, problems with aircraft design, problems with air traffic systems, uh, investing money. Uh, people don't want to do it because they say, "Well, we." You know, we got away with it up to now. What's the problem? Tell me, how many airplanes have crashed because of this? And, of course, you have to say none. Uh, but um, <laughs> it doesn't mean to say it isn't going to happen and happen, you know, uh, in a very dramatic manner. But you shouldn't have to wait for that. You should try and work to keep the record uh, very good in, uh, in any uh, system. Yeah. Uh, UH Blackhawk and our live audience makes a good point here should not be ignored. But I think part of it is that every approach is now under scrutiny and on YouTube. <laughs> there, there is a lot more mm, uh, surveillance uh, by, you know, private surveillance with people with their iPhones and Android phones and video cameras and stuff going on there. And a lot more people listening to liveatc.net and hearing things happening that, you know, so there, there's a lot of scrutiny right now, which may not be a bad thing, but it could maybe uh, perhaps be skewing uh, the, uh, the, the severity of these 
incidents, but I don't know. It just seems to me, anecdotally, experience-wise, it seems to me, even considering that, that that more and more of this stuff is happening out there, and uh, and that is something that Indeed. really kind of uh, scares me as well. And the other thing is, this uh, reporter has you know cited the fact that the the number of these incidents are on the increase. Well. You know, the whole volume of air traffic is on the increase. Um, and he hasn't really been able to uh, devise a workout from the figures whether it's an actual increase uh, because of safety concerns or an increase just because of uh, the level of traffic in the sky. Exactly. All right. Um, Jim Fulton in our live audience is yanking worse than plummeting? Hmm. Mm. Well, I guess it depends I've on what the situation is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were asked, um, do uh, these examples bring to mind any close calls from your own flying experience uh, that Jonathan asked? So the answer in my cockpit was no. Uh, I mean, I might have been out of the game now for three or four years, but... Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's still quite recent history. So, uh, no, never really had one of these close calls. I, and I've mentioned this a few times in our more than 500 episodes, um, but I didn't mention it that many times. But uh, one of the yeah. one of the events that uh, happened to me that was definitely a close call was back in the, in the 90s, before the turn of the century, uh, before understaffing of air traffic control and all that kind of stuff. But uh, back then, of course, we, well, I'm not sure exactly when TCAS uh, came into play. It may have been already something that was that was there for us as a tool, but uh, the airplane uh, it was LaGuardia Airport in New York City. Um, the aircraft in front of us was a, um, a private jet that, um, or oh, wait a minute now, I think it was a King Air. Uh, may have been a King Air. Uh, anyway, I was uh, flying the uh, 727 into uh, LaGuardia landing runway four. The the airplane ahead of us. Now that I'm thinking a little bit more about it, was a King Air. Uh, they um, you know switched over to tower before we did, and then at some point, uh, unbeknownst to us, um, he was sent around or he sent himself around, uh, whatever. And so we, when we switched over to tower, there was no mention of him. I just figured that they must have landed and already turned off. Didn't really think anything of it. Apparently, he had uh, gone uh, around and kind of did a 270, and uh, they cleared him to land on the crossing runway, which was the runway they were using for takeoffs at the time, which was 1-3. And um, all of a sudden, in the middle of our landing roll, I see this King Air land right in front of us on runway one three, we're on runway four, and you know, crossing runways, obviously, and uh, we just went, what? Like it just happened like that. It was like, what? Did, okay, it was already past our path, and wow. we were like, what just happened there? What? How did that happen? And uh, we had a discussion with the um, control tower, and you know, tried to work it all out. But that was definitely uh, a close call, probably the closest call that I've ever had. Uh, Steve in our live audience has had an RA over Tucson when a jump plane came barreling out of 15,000 feet in front of us after uh, dumping their jumpers. 
Um, are you sure this wasn't uh, somewhere in uh, South Carolina? Yeah, South Kakalaki. Now, I guess uh, Dr. Steph's off the hook. Must not have been her. No. But uh, yeah. yeah, but they're all the same, these jumper dumpers. <laughs> jumper dumpers yeah, yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> they're all crazy out there yeah. flying their jumper airplanes. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of crazy. <laughs> this this guy, this captain, uh, truly has an axe to grind. Uh, let me uh, play some video here. The pilot in uniform can be seen retrieving a full-sized axe from his car and returning to the parking exit, where he proceeds to take nearly two dozen swings at the parking gate. But who's counting? Uh, the, just to set this up, um, a uh, United Airlines captain, um, I guess he's finished with his trip. Must not have been a really pleasant trip. Uh, he gets a little frustrated. Um, I'm assuming this was the end of the trip. Maybe it's, he's trying to get into the parking lot. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't recall exactly if he was going to work or coming well, back from a trip. Home. But apparently... Yeah, I think was, he was trying to get out. Yeah, yeah trying, trying to get to home. home. End yeah. of his day, long yeah. day. And flying with these FOs, you know, like you just fed up with the whole thing. And, uh, and so he's fed up with the fact that it's taking so long for everybody to get out of the parking lot here. He pulls out of like, you know, we'd all do, you know, we grab that big long handled ax that we keep in our trunk. I would have grabbed a Magnum, uh, a handgun. Yeah. Maybe much, much more efficient. Maybe he he didn't have that available apparently. So how about a, um, a chainsaw? A chainsaw. Now that would be handy. It would have made quick that work of this. Uh, Much more. Yeah. This, what do you call that thing? Good. The the uh, the arm. The um, yeah, the gate arm. Gate arm. That's uh, kind of keeping traffic from flowing past that point. Well, he is just. He's pretty upset now, so he starts whacking at this thing. He's going, "I know how to fix this. We're just going to get rid of that stupid arm blocking Until the traffic." Until he chops it off of its base. Federal records show Jones, who is 63 is licensed to fly large passenger jets like 757s and Was. 767s. <laughs> After disabling Whoa. the parking lot, <laughs> an airport Look at employee that. follows oh. Jones, no, confronts him, Sir, and the two are seen in a that protracted axe, struggle over the axe. The pilot is only disarmed after a second airport employee joins the fray. What? I'm not doing United anything. Airlines is not saying much <laughs> about the incident. Really? <laughs> Brad has a good comment here. Brad uh, says, I think this will be his last trip, so no more issues with the gate. Yeah, I think you're right, Brad. Yeah, it might be. I yeah, would imagine yeah. that uh, the uh, there was probably an appointment uh, made for him to see the uh, chief pilot there at uh, Denver International, uh, and they probably discussed the possibility of his early retirement. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he's almost there. He's 63. And he's, you know, he looks pretty good for 63. He has still a nice dark head nice of hair. Swing. And he's yeah. very uh, thin and, and uh, physically fit. And man, the way he was swinging that axe. I don't know about you, but that turned me on. Wow. <laughs> uh, UH Blackhawk uh, says, falling down to the airlines. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, sometimes you have to really kind of keep a, Keep a good grasp on your on your behavior, even if you feel very, very frustrated. You can't let it go over that over that line. Yeah, Steve has the question there too. Uh, Steve says uh, uh, in our audience, "Why was he carrying an axe in the car?" Well, come on, it's Colorado. 
I mean, I think you're required to carry in a, a big axe in your car, you know, just in case a tree falls down and you need to chop it, you know, out of your way, whatever. I mean, he's probably a rancher. Uh, who knows? Um, now, Nick, are you aware that you're uh, out of the uh, out out of uh, view on? Yeah, a little bit of mouse trouble. There. Oh, okay. But I'm still disappointed he didn't take out a handgun and put a few bullet holes in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I can hear that happening. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so that was that was an interesting was uh, incident for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. We all have our breaking point, and obviously he has an issue with this particular um, gate defying his authority as a captain. Yeah. How dare he? have his exactly. authority questioned. You tried to use CRM on the gate. Yeah, <laughs> the CRM on the great didn't, <laughs> gate didn't work very well. Okay, well, guess what? It's now time for us to get to know us. That segment of the show where we kind of talk a little bit about what we've been doing between shows. Getting to like us. Getting to hope you like us too. All right. Uh, so I'll go first because I don't really have much to say. Not a lot of flying lately. I'm kind of tapering down to almost practically nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, singing. I did. Uh, oh, I did my, <laughs> yes, my, my singing. I'm singing. I, uh, did a lot of that over the weekend as I normally do. And, uh, but before I sang over the weekend. I uh, went out to a dinner with my daughter. I took her out to a very nice uh, place called Rumi's Kitchen, um, one of a few of these Persian restaurants here in the Atlanta area. And uh, I flew with an FO, um, I don't know, several months ago uh, that uh, is uh, Iranian. And uh, he was, um, I was having a conversation with him. I, I went to another Persian restaurant. Um, over uh, around Easter time, uh, right before Easter, uh, to uh, I think I talked about the uh, uh, the uh, Atlanta Symphony Orchestra chorus um, and Atlanta uh, Symphony. Um, they did a, a very special. Um, uh, I forgot what the uh, was it Bach. Um, I can't remember exactly what they did, but anyway, I ate at um, a, a Persian restaurant right across the street from the uh, Woodruff Art Center in uh, Midtown Atlanta. And uh, I texted him and I said, hey, do you have any ideas for what I should select from the menu? And so he gave me a long list of things. But he was actually using uh, Rumi's Kitchen, uh, the restaurant that my daughter Natalie and I went to. And so I still had that in my in my phone. And so when we went to uh, Rumi's Kitchen, I, I looked at all the things that he had circled on the menu. And I said, are you game? I'm just going to order everything that he told us to order, and that's going to be our dinner tonight. And she said, yeah, I'm good. So uh, we did that, and it was very, very wonderful. So it was nice seeing Natalie, and um, that is pretty much it. So, um, oh, uh, so the other thing I was going to do was I was going to share a photo that was shared on social media and uh, a group of uh, people that are uh, listeners to our podcast and very involved in the aviation podcasting community uh, got together at the uh, Brown Arch. You know, we talked about the uh, the Brown Arch uh, at Oshkosh and the remembrance of uh, of Glenn Towler, 
there is the uh, image of those who gathered at 10 a.m., I believe it was, or 1030. 10.30. 10.30 a.m. at the uh, Brown Arch at Oshkosh um, last month. And uh, I was I was really taken aback about uh, the number of folks wearing the shirt, like what I'm wearing right now, the uh, Acme Airlines shirt. I taken really appreciate that. Taken aback in a that. good way. Yeah, taken aback in a in a positive way. Thank you guys for for wearing Didn't the. Does um, mean you were taken forward? I guess maybe I was taken forward. I don't know. Yeah, I don't maybe. know where I was taken. Um, <laughs> anyway, nice cowboy hat there on the yeah. right. Look at that. A lot of a uh, lot of good looking people there, man. So, uh, and many of them are listening to us talking right now. So, um, thanks for, and I'm, I'm really sad that I didn't make it in time, you know, to, uh, to join you for the, uh, remembrance, remembrance of, uh, of Glenn, but, um, I did make it there eventually and got to see, I think almost everybody that that's here in the photo anyway. So I, I see a Mohican there, don't I? A Mohican. Yeah. Just, just behind Captain Al. Um, like a mohawk haircut. Let me yeah. see Look if I can zoom in on this and see if we can see what he's talking about. Yeah, that's that's an interesting hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. Or is that just something that's, that's Logan. behind? Logan, that's right? Logan. I don't think he had a Mohican. <laughs> I think that might be like <laughs> okay. a stone in the uh, background that's kind of blending in with his hair. And the reason why oh. it was hard to recognize. Uh, him is that uh, for most of Oshkosh that I saw, Logan, he was wearing uh, a hat and like a, I, I I don't know what you call those things, but it was like it has a side like a side and a back to it that covers everything. I mean, it looked like he was ready to take a trip on the in the Sahara uh, <laughs> Desert, um, which uh, you know was appropriate because it was very very sunny and hot there. He was very smart. Anyway, so uh, there you go. That is what I wanted to share. And now, without further ado, I think we're going to uh, hear from Captain Nick, because I think you've been a lot busier than I have between uh, well, since just, the last show. Well, just the last few days, Jeff, because uh, you, you perhaps remember uh, I did a plain tale, the four QFIs. Uh, we were just catching up uh, some of uh, the QFIs who worked with me when I was at RF Valley Flying Hawks. Just in case people don't know what a QFI is, what what is that exactly? Are you, well, it are stands we for Qualified Flying Instructor. So uh, you guys uh, call them CFIs, don't you? You're a Certified Flying Instructor. Uh, the ones in what? the civilian world, yes. Um, yeah. In the, yeah. In the military world? In the military world, we, we just say instructor pilots, IPs. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, CFI, by the way, in the UK is the chief flying instructor. So oh. if you say you're you're a club CFI, they assume you are the top dog. Anyway, oh. by the way, it's completely irrelevant, but by the by. Yeah. Um, so uh, DL, uh, <laughs> my old friend Dave Richardson, he uh, organized it. And um, despite his organization, we all managed to get together. <laughs> I bought... Uh, Captain Nige along, and we had our great friend Jerry join us. Uh, and we started off by visiting uh, Duxford. So if I do this, there you see, uh, there's me uh, standing uh, behind um, my uh, old man's favorite aer airplane, the uh, Vickers VC-10. They've got a lovely example there at uh, Duxford. And um, uh, that didn't work, did it? I've got to use uh, that button. 
There we go. And they had a nice lineup of tea towels there. Do you recognize any of those? Uh, sadly, there isn't a uh, Your Three Holer. There is a Trident, which is quite similar. Mm-hmm. But there's a 111 Trident VC10. I think that one at the back there, just behind the VC10, is a 146. But. Uh, Anyway, by the by, it wasn't really an aircraft recognition test. But we had a great day uh, wandering around Duxford. Uh, Jerry was very keen to get to the uh, tanks, which are quite a long way down the airfield. <laughs> he said he's been to Duxford several times and never managed to get to see the tanks. So uh, we <laughs> went down to t- look at all the tanks, and we found one there. And I wished uh, that Dr. Steph <laughs> had been on the panel today because uh, it's a, a gynea later. It, it, it's written on the side of this tank. And I think it's the tank's name rather than the, the type of tank. I did, in fact, uh, find out what type of tank it was. It is indeed an A-34 Comet, which also was a type of aeroplane, uh, but that's a Mark 1B. So uh, it just looks like a tank for anyone else, uh, it's, uh, but it's been called the Gyneolator, which we thought was vaguely amusing, um, but it turns out it just means someone who honours women or oh. worships women. So oh. uh, <laughs> it wasn't. it's not quite as bad as you might might think um and from there uh, we found a tornado well hey now um jerry and i had both flown the tornado jerry who is on the right hand side uh, there if you're looking at the picture with the blue shirt he uh, flew the ground attack version and i flew that one the picture uh, the aircraft in the picture which is the air defense version you can see we're all very impressed because none of us are looking at it <laughs> it's got their back turned <laughs> And uh, J- Jerry particularly wanted me to take a picture of him uh, standing beside uh, a JP-233, which was a very specialized um, weapon, which he uh, f- f- uh, carried and fired in the Gulf War. In fact, I think they fitted two of those onto each um, tornado. And uh, the idea was that they fired rocket-propelled projectiles down at regular intervals into the runway uh, and having penetrated deep into the ground, uh, the explosive then went off and caused a big, didn't cause a crater, called a big mound of heave, which, uh, of course, makes a runway much harder to, um, uh, to repair. And the front half, uh, this is the reason we no longer use it, is full of mines, and they were pretty damn clever mines as well because if you try to clear them off the airfield using a bulldozer, they would tip over and fire a shaped charge up through the bulldozer blade into the cab of the, of the bulldozer. So mm. um, they were very hard to get rid of. Anyway, that vast weapon uh, was used for the first few days of the war and then they decided it was all too uh, dangerous to be down there at low level because it's, it's delivered at low level. Uh, and they climbed up to medium level and used other bombs instead. So anyway, we, that was him. Uh, and uh, having <laughs> having um, got rid of the JP-233, our two, two nuclear bomb pilots, Jerry and Nige, then wanted to pose in front of a nuclear weapon. So uh, that's them and their 
bucket of sunshine. But basically, we wandered around having a really good time. And then um, having spent the evening at Jerry's place and having a few beers, next day we went off to um, DL's old squadron, number 29 squadron, RF Coningsby. Before you do that, I hate to interrupt you, but did you say something about a tornado? A tornado, yes. So I think I... That's I think I it. hear a tornado in the background. Like. Okay. Just yeah. curious. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Very good. And uh, so uh, 29 Squadron uh, uh, gave us uh, the guided tour, the 6 Uh tour. They are equipped with uh, the uh, Typhoon, oh. uh, which nice. is another name for a tornado. Oh, yeah. We're, I need <laughs> to go it? back to that. The both tropical revolving storm. A Typhoon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. That's right. It's quite a, Which quite a... was the successor to the uh, tornado? Thank the Lord. Eventually, we uh, we built an airplane that could turn because it's incredibly agile. And uh, those, by the way, do you know the name of those um, little wings uh, on the front of the airplane, Jeff? I, um, they look a lot like um, what do they call those? It starts with a C, I think. Um, no. Okay, you're going to say canard. Aren't you? Yeah, yeah, but that's not what they are. What do they call them? They're, they're actually called four planes, oh. which is a bit like foreplay, but with a different spelling. Gotcha. Um, but, and the reason they're not canards is that they uh, turn in, they move independently, huh? and hence they're four planes and not canards. Um, so, really? Steve, uh-uh. yeah, uh-uh. Steve, bad luck, yep. mate. Very close. Close, but no cigar. Exactly. Anyway, we had a good old pier. Uh, Jerry isn't the tallest of pilots, and you could tell he struggled a little bit in the cockpit there. He could barely see out. Um, but um, <laughs> what we do in the U.S. is had uh, have like telephone books, like the yellow pages. They're really thick. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You could sit that on that. That would have worked very well. He'd need about, you know, uh, 20 copies. Yeah. <laughs> Nigel uh, and DL had a good old poke around. Actually, um, the cockpit was amazingly simply laid out with actually, you know, you look at it and you go, well, there's not a lot in here. Three nice uh, TVs uh, and a lot of software buttons. Uh, but because it's uh, primarily HOTAS-driven, hands-on throttle and stick, almost all the functions are operated from uh, the stick and throttle. Uh, so, and which leaves an awful lot of spare room around the cockpit with, you know, wh- where you'd normally expect lots of boxes. There's nothing. Yeah, so I was oh, very impressed with that. Comment here. Let's see. Um, oh, going back to that, um, <laughs> to that uh, well, tank. That would be. <laughs> I haul boxes in our live audience. So do Ganiolators <laughs> like four Planes? Oh, yeah, that wow. might be a good show title. That's a stretch. Yeah. yeah, that's a great title. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the HUD is vast. I mean, it really was. Uh, he didn't want us to take pictures down too much down of the cockpit because uh, it's uh, very classified, but uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, we carried on and uh you know there's a couple more views of this fantastic airplane it's been around for quite a while in the air force now so uh it's getting on a bit and this there's one panel i could show you do you know what that one is jeff uh nope okay that's the instructions on 
how to put away the steps. So if you oh. go land away <laughs> somewhere <laughs> and you've got some bloke who's not familiar with the airplane, you open this panel, this is where handy. the steps come down. And then there's a – but <laughs> I, I don't know uh, if you can read. Um, uh, the um, instruction number seven on the left-hand side, it's got a picture of two hands pushing the panel shut having put it away and just so you know when it's properly shut is they've written the word clunk clunk <laughs> push it right. until it goes clunk yeah which they spelt with a k i always thought clunk oh. was spelt with a c but yeah me go. too this huh. is obviously uh, a british aerospace spelling anyway that was i thought that was quite quite good yeah um from there we went off to the most wonderful hotel uh, we're, we're at Coningsby, which during the war in Lincolnshire was a bomber base. And, of course, uh, it's, it was the home for quite a while of 617 Squadron, the Dam Busters. Um, but nearby was uh, RAF Woodall Spa, very close. And um, they requisitioned this beautiful old uh, country mansion uh, called Petwood, and it's it's now a hotel, so that's where we stayed overnight. But Petwood was given uh, requisition by the Air Force and uh, given to the RAF to act as an officer's mess for uh, a few bomber squadrons, including six one seven. And when you go in there, it's it's fabulous. It's it's pretty old, but it's not actually a Tudor building. It's mock Tudor, but it's uh, it's was built at the turn of uh, the last but one century. Um, and uh, it looks absolutely fabulous, and it is was a super place to stay. Beautiful. But this is really why we went there, because they have the original Dan Buster's bar there. Wow. Uh, and although they've refurbished it a bit, because they've taken down some of the memorabilia, the place is just full of this fantastic collection of photographs and letters and uh, paintings of uh, the Dan Buster's squadron. Uh, and um, it includes, if you look on the bar there, I'll have to describe it for those who can't get access to the pictures, above the bar where we're all leaning um, is a, a lump of tree, uh, in a big branch of, of a tree, and that's the branch that they pulled from the back end of a Lancaster that had gone so low it had collected it. Wow. <laughs> uh, now, in the movie, I'm pretty sure that um, was occurred during a, a practice uh, mission over the Derwent Reservoir when they were working up uh, to get the expertise to fly over the the uh, Ruhr dams and bomb those. But they've got the supposedly original piece of tree hung above the bar, which I thought was fantastic. Wow. Uh, and um, there it is, uh, RAF Woodall Spa, the Dam Busters, the Petworth, Petwood Hotel, and the whole squadron there, there. And um, there's guy a picture of Guy Gibson with all his medals, including the VC. He, of course, led the squadron in the Dan Busters. So it was just fantastic looking uh, at all this stuff. It's a wonderful picture there uh, of um, Barnes Wallace, who designed the bouncing bomb and designed many other amazing things during the war, including the Wellington bomber. Uh, and there's us having a beer after a long old evening yakking and we carried on <laughs> quite late so it was the most fabulous time and uh lovely to see those guys again 
particularly Jerry, who I hadn't seen for quite a while, and just full of war stories. Where we really we were in stitches listening to him uh, tell of all the things that had gone <laughs> right and wrong in his career. No audio so, this time, uh, though, huh? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid uh, Jerry was a little bit um, microphone shy, so uh, uh, we didn't we didn't press him into producing any audio, which is a shame. Nick, were so. you the only two, were you and Nigel the only two that went on to commercial airlines after the RAF? Did the other two guys? Uh, no, uh, Jerry did as well. He, um, I think, flew for ooh, Britannia, um, uh, UK uh, independent. Right. airline uh dave uh, the one of the check shirt in the front he carried on he flew for saudi arabia he trained wow. saudi arabians uh, uh flying hawks for them uh, and things but uh, that was it and uh, what a great few days it was so i'm just gonna remove that and, and uh, really that's been my week so uh, i'm looking forward to the next time we'll get together uh, and i'm sure it'll be fun yeah, sure cover art now, Nick? yeah. Let's uh, talk about the cover art from the last episode. Well, it's, that was a lot easier than I think the gynecological uh, four plus four, four planeter. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Sorry, uh, we've got the number of the beast uh, because uh, it was an airplane that uh, had the number six 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 in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, why was it on fire? I can't quite remember. Oh, because uh, we had several uh, uncontrolled or oh, uncontained right. heat in yeah, the cockpit. They, they and also, we had a couple stories cockpit. about uh, some incidents or accidents uh, for firefighting airplanes as well. Indeed we did. Indeed we did. So we had to have uh, uh, a couple of uh, fiery devils uh, flying this airplane <laughs> through a lot of fire. So thank you very much for uh, mid-journey. Uh, the show number... I thought I'd made that pretty easy, but apparently no. If you look on the bit where the the FCU, where the uh, autopilot controls would normally be, the five is uh, just by the devil's ear. It's on its side, and the eight is also on its side, and the one is standing up, and they're quite large. So uh, if you, yeah, I thought, I thought that made them quite easy, but apparently they're a bit harder. I was, I was just looking at, I, I guess, to, I don't know. I, I guess I was trying to find the numbers and all the dials. Um, darn it, why keep doing that? Um, not in a, in a large way, but like little tiny little numbers you yeah, know, like in, the, in the digital yes. readout. Indeed. Yeah. Luckily, the dials blended in with the numbers, so it sort of helped disguise them. But I did put the 666 on the center uh, display there. I so that, it's yeah. a fiery 666. I Hall Boxes is yeah. worried now, though. I Hall Boxes is worried. You'll have to tell us why. Or, Nick, can you sure. tell us why I Hall Boxes is worried since I can't see that screen right now? Uh, what? APG six. What's APG six 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 going to be named then? Uh oh, good question. He's thinking ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to th- we'll see what happens on the show <laughs> if we survive <laughs> it. Oh, and there's the Acme logo down there at the bottom. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so that was the artwork. That was quite easy because um, Mid Journey did a good job with that. Oh, and speaking, I'm just listening, and I'll have to send you a clip of it, uh, Nick. Uh, I guess they're now transitioning to like six or seven version and which includes um video and 3d 
Um, Ooh, so wow. they said wow. that that's going to be an interesting enhancement. And they say that they've worked on, uh, you know, human parts like the fingers and feet and that kind of the fingers thing. Fingers that are like willies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think supposedly they've made some, Darn oh, it. and some other well, enhancements that you, I think might be excited about. So we'll, uh, talk about that, uh, after the show. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, okay. What time? Coffee fun time. Coffee fun time. Okay. Well, let me find that jingle and push it. There we go. Got that button. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's the coffee fund. It's your way to support our show financially, if you have the financial resources to do so. And uh, let's see, a couple different ways to do that. One is called the coffee fund classic method, which is essentially a PayPal donation page where you can set up a recurring donation. Several of our listeners have done that. And uh, you can also do one-offs, two-offs, whatever. Every once in a while, you want to give us some of your bounty, uh, you can uh, use that method. The other way you can become a supporter of the show financially is to become a patron of our show via patreon.com. And uh, that is a way for you to make a pledge per episode. And um, all of the folks that uh, contribute to our show... Uh, ha- gain access to uh, the every once in a while we'll publish a crew log. I know it's been a while since we've done that. We need to do more of those. But uh, anyway, basically the best thing about it is that it makes you feel good about supporting our show and you know, kind of encourage us to keep on doing it for you. So if you're interested in learning how you can become part of it, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Oh, we didn't have any new... Yep. Oh, we didn't have any uh, contributors uh, since the last episode. So we have our little sad puppy. Aw, he's so sad that you didn't give any money. But I have to point out that if you're a uh, recurring uh, contributor on PayPal or you're a uh, patron, uh, yes, you're every show. show, uh, you, You contribute and we do appreciate it. So we just didn't have any new ones for this show. So not like that other aviation talk podcast that uh man they must be just rolling in the dough over there (laughs) anyway um every show i think it takes 15 minutes for them to go through all the list of people that are uh, new patrons yeah it's everyone in the universe i think (laughs) i think all the other aviation podcasts are just going to hang it up (laughs) uh anyway uh so uh, that's it for the coffee fund and now without Further ado, we can move on to some feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, we're going to start with some audio feedback from Vernon in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Greetings, APG crew. It's Vernon Tryon from Fort Morgan, Colorado. A weekend or two ago, my wife and I attended a family wedding near Laramie, Wyoming, and we had some time to kill, so we visited the uh, lovely 
uh, Laramie Plains Museum, the historic mansion in Laramie, Wyoming. And I was intrigued by a display of some aviation artifacts. And on the wall was a map of, from 1935 from the U.S. Department of Commerce, Bureau of Air Commerce, the 5th Air Navigation District, a radio facility map. And it shows airways from Omaha, Nebraska to Rawlins, Wyoming. And I'm forwarding that along to you as another attachment in hopes that uh, you might get find it interesting. Maybe Captain Nick may even be able to find a story there in the early days of radio navigation. So I hope that you find that of interest. Encourage you to keep up the great work of APG. I'm caught up and now to the point of looking forward every week or so to a new APG edition with, of course, the crew and Captain Nick's stories. As uh, Captain Jeff, you cruise into retirement, I wish you the best over the, the months ahead of your uh, flying. So you all take care. Keep up the good work. I'm still addicted, so hang in there. This is Vernon Tryon of Fort Morgan, Colorado. Retired CFI, former air traffic controller, former safety officer, Civil Air Patrol, which made me a captain, actually. And, um, oh, I was a bush pilot in Africa, among other things. But entirely retired now and uh, enjoying the APG to keep me intact. Take care, and I'll see if I can figure out how to turn this thing off. I want to know. Does that's a button over there. Yeah, what uh, you're wondering about the uh, the background. Thank you, Vernon, for doing that. And that's when he started sending us audio feedback years ago. Um, that was one of his tel uh, trademarked, um, you know, uh, whatever uh, styles or um, dis discerning, no, distinguishing. Um, characters or characteristics wow i need you're not helping me at all Liz. i can't this hear you struggle she's, i didn't uh, know where you're going with that oh she has no idea what i'm talking about apparently uh anyway <laughs> one of the one of the features of his audio feedback was the uh music in the background and uh were you uh. wondering what that was i'm i'm sure that uh google has figured it out with their algorithm yeah, yeah. <laughs> i want to know if vernon has an axe in his car oh liz was wondering if vernon do you have an axe in your car she wants to ask you a question about that. Mm. Um, so I'm always interested in the, the whole concept of uh, why we have airways, because it, before airways, people used to just fly around, didn't they? Big sky theory. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're not going to all these airplanes, but they're very well spread apart. So you're unlikely to hit anyone. And, of course, then they invented airways, and they put all those airplanes into the same place at the same time. <laughs> and I'm going, that's actually not very safe. So use your flight safety skills there, Vernon, and tell me, is it safer to have airplanes flying down airways or just meandering around in the big, great, big open airspace? Well, I think it may have something. Now, the the photo that we're that he uh, included um, and that we're looking at right now, 
uh, are actually uh, radio beacons, and so I'm guessing. Oh, that you're might... nah, you're cheating. That's not fair. You can't you can't use that as an excuse. Go yeah, on, well, you me. could probably could they couldn't see the ground. Probably <laughs> they had to use radio beacons, and that's why they had to have these airways. But they also had the light uh, beacons and the big arrow, those big concrete uh, arrows that were painted yellow. Uh, you'll remember that uh, it was yeah. I think oh, last yeah, year I stopped and found yeah. one of those in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, no, Indeed. yeah, it was Captain no, Steve it was uh, still Kansas. In operation in Montana. Um, yeah, there there are some um, in still in operation the light beacons uh, in Montana and some other places around the country. That's just fascinating to me. That's one of those things I want to do when I'm out there in the RV. I want to go and see if I can, you know, find some more of these things. I was able to find. Uh, one of the um, one of those big concrete arrow things, uh, as I said, service? between I guess it was just to the west of uh, Wichita, and uh, so I did a little little audio video kind of uh, thing there. I think that was a crew log that I did. Um, anyway, so yeah, they had a whole uh, network of not only radio beacons. I guess the radio beacons the came arrows, after the right? the, the lights and the and the concrete arrows. Are they beacons that are just lightweight, or are they some other kind of beacon? <laughs> I don't get it. What's your joke? Light beacons. Light are beacons? they light instead of heavy? Uh, they're light. Um, they didn't look light to me. They look very heavy. They're uh, oh, okay. big. I mean, it was some bloke supposed to be sitting there all night with a pile no. of wood feeding it. No, it was uh, like a like a uh, like a metal structure that uh, would elevate them up into the air a bit. I don't know. We need to uh, we need to maybe do a, a special on that sometime. Maybe a plane beef. tail. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There we go. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Um, so thank you, Vernon, for sending that in. We do appreciate it. And um, let's continue on with uh, Gubby. Um, <laughs> he uh, he says, big-ass fans, they get around. Uh, he said, sat in a lovely bar in the Seychelles. Look what was wafting us gently. And he has included a picture of care. a big-ass fan. Of course, we used to have, uh, he's still a big fan of our podcast, but he is no longer working for the company Big Ass Fans in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, but uh, every time I see one of those, I always think about Greg Peterson and yep. uh yeah and his patented end pieces yeah those little yeah he, uh, he had the wing winglets winglets on the he patented winglets for the fans but i think that he would look at these uh, nick and say those were not the ones that he designed but i don't no, know they sure. weren't they first yeah they look a bit gash they're like plastic yeah. add-ons i don't know right i don't think those uh, his his uh design was much more elegant indeed well, thanks, Gubby, for um, sending that the in. The bar he was in. There's a picture of the bar. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. The knife and fork bar. Um, yeah, the La Plage restaurant Which is means the, the, beach, uh, we, the beach. The beach is what that means in French. It doesn't mean the plague. And there's the beach. <laughs> no. <laughs> and there is the beach in the Seychelles. Oh, indeed. beautiful. Very nice. Yeah. Very well, the nice. weather doesn't look brilliant, but there you go. Yeah. All right, let's uh, nice. continue Very nice. with. Oh, yeah, this is a good oh, one, Jeff. You'll yeah, we have some. Um, Oops, sorry. I have to uh, apologize. Um, we were trying to remember everybody at that second meetup up at uh, Nigel's country estate, um, and uh, we were trying to 
remember all the participants and we misidentified one of them. I know I remembered his name was Chris and then it was suggested that maybe that was Chris Postill um, and that he sent in this feedback and says, uh, it wasn't me. Uh, during 578, who pinched the pappies? You mentioned my name when recalling the people that attended a meetup in the UK when Jeff was visiting. I was pleased to get a mention on the show and appreciate the compliment about the fabulous t-shirt showing the generations of the Grand Prix. But in the interest of keeping you above 50%, I feel compelled to write in and fess up that it wasn't me. Whilst I would have loved to have been at the meetup, sadly I couldn't be there. I have no idea who the unfortunate misidentified APG community member is, though. But it sounds like he has excellent taste in t-shirts, and I'm sure he had a brilliant time. I do hope to catch you all soon at another meetup, though. And just so that we set the record straight here, the, the, the Chris was not Chris Postal, it was Chris Griggs. Chris Griggs. I think, I hope. Yeah, I think I that's... I hope we got it right this time. Yeah, so sorry about that. Uh, we didn't mean to misidentify you, sir. Um and uh, Chris Postal uh, continues, in other news, on a previous feedback, I wrote in and mentioned how quiet the A380 was. I took a quick business trip across to Dallas last month for a conference and flew on an American Airlines 777-300ER both ways. Whilst my tr- trusty Apple Watch measured the A380 at 64 decibels, it measured the 777 at 84. Ooh, Totally non-scientific, I know, and I'm sure it varies depending on seat number, etc., but highlights just how quiet the A380 is, and you really do notice it. Yeah, that's quite a quite a difference, actually, because it's kind of an exponential uh, increase between 64 and 84. It's not just a linear relationship there with the sound. Um, mentioning my airline experience for a moment, I'm not sure what uh, American Airlines are like generally as it was my first flight with them in a number of years, but the return flight was a bit of, cal- of a calamity. It was a full flight and the overhead bins soon filled up long before boarding was complete. I watched with great amusement as one flight attendant was stood at the rear of the aircraft screaming at boarding passengers that there was no overhead space available and to turn around and head towards business class where there was storage space. All whilst another flight attendant towards the front of the cabin was shouting at those following these directions, ordering them not to swim against the flow and turn back around. (laughs) Calamity continued as it uh, then turns out that they also forgot to load the special meals for those with dietary requirements. As a coliac, coeliac. I'm not sure how celiac, you pronounce that. Celiac. That's how they spell. Oh, is that celiac? celiac? That's how you. Oh, I think we spell that differently. We do. We uh, don't have the, the O in it. Okay, that's what threw me off. The O. Okay. Uh, as a celiac, this meant I went hungry for the next ten hours. Hmm. Forced uh, fasting, apparently. And the flight attendant told me that they also forgot to load the drinks glasses for those fortunate enough to be in the nicer seats towards the front. I had visions of first business class passengers necking champagne directly from the bottle. (laughs) Good. Uh, Given Dallas is a hub for American Airlines, I was a little surprised that it was a complete shambles, as if they're going to get it right anywhere. I would have expected it to be at its largest home base. Good point, Chris. Dallas, Texas, American Airlines, a bunch of cowboys. All right. Oh, they're probably using the glasses for target practice. (laughs) That could be. 
lastly, I took a sightseeing helicopter tour with my seven-year-old son last week. I flight around Cambridge in a 1988 Bell 206 Long Ranger. Great flight, and my son was super excited to take his first helicopter ride. But what was interesting is that we flew from Badasham Airfield Museum. Is that right, Badasham? Is that, did, did I, I pronounce that? Heard of it? Okay, Badasham is about ten miles northeast of Duxford and close to Cambridge City. It is no longer an active airfield, but was a World War II fighter base. So you don't remember that, Nick, uh, when you no. were in World War II? Um, no, I don't remember that. One. I never landed there. Uh, used Even by World War II. <laughs> both the RAF and U.S. Air Force, home to a range of aircraft, including Spitfires, Hurricanes, uh, Lysander. Is that how you pronounce Lysanders, that? Yeah, yeah. Lysander. Uh, yeah. P-51s and P-47s based there over its short six-year existence. If you look on Google Maps, the outline of the runway is clearly visible, but as a thick row of trees. This is because of the metal pegs that were used to pin the steel matting that formed the hard runway surface. surface. Uh, due to the weight of the heavy P-47s. The steel mats were removed, but pegs were left in the ground, causing issues for farm machinery after the closure of the base in 1946. So trees were planted in its place. Uh, There was much local excitement as our helicopter tour was the first official aircraft movement at the site since the closure of the base in 1946. Wow. It's a modest little museum that, despite being local, I wasn't really aware of, but it has some interesting things to look at, and the volunteer staff were eager to chat. So to anyone passing, I'd recommend stopping in, buying a coffee, and taking a look around and chatting to the staff there and get taken for a ride in their original Willys Jeep. Sorry, I've written quite a lot there. I'll stop now. (laughs) All the best, Chris Postal. And uh, wow, that's cool. Interesting about, I guess those those stakes that were holding down those steel mats were so so far into the earth that they just couldn't get rid of them. Yeah, I guess there must have been an awful lot of them. They kept probably kept reemerging, like a lot of these things. Uh, uh, they the earth pushes them back up again, like clearer once, and then your farm machinery picks one of those things up. Would probably wreck it. Yeah, probably not good for the old tractor or whatever machinery you're in. All right, so I'm glad we got that all straightened out. Chris Griggs, again, apologies for misidentifying. Oh, and uh, a Chris Postal, I, I should have realized. But quite honestly, we were we knew it was Chris, and we never really thought about it until well after the event, and we're trying to remember which it was Chris. Can you who? believe that there is more than one Chris that listens to yeah, the show? Yeah, I mean, in this world, it's really weird. Not very, very common. Speaking of museums. All right, so this next piece of feedback comes from Texas and Lashock. Uh, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. So among the small museums around West Texas, I finally got in to see the one closest to home. Technically, I'd already been there, but at the time it was known as the American Air Power Heritage Museum when the commemorative Air Force was headquartered there. Since they moved, most of the museum was shut down, but the hangar they used remained open, and that became the Midland Army Airfield Museum. The cost to enter is a signature in their guest book, but the hours are a little unusual. Except for a prearranged appointment, it's only open to the public on Saturdays from 10 to 3. At the entrance, uh, and the entrance can be a little hard to find. It's a small gate next to the empty building that used to house the CAF Museum. Fortunately, many of the exhibits that were there still exist, such as a demonstration uh, of aircraft identification training, 
the exhibit on wartime industrial efforts and a diorama of a wartime home. The main thing that occurred at MAF was bomber training, so they have an entire section on that. Bombers would take off and go on practice runs using giant targets that had been painted on the rocks. Some of them are still out there. There are also displays of various tools and methods used to train bomber crews to recognize various objects from above, structures, vehicles, and ships. It's rather important to know if that cruiser beneath you is a friendly New Orleans class or a hostile Takao class. Uh, To one side, you may notice a section painted Battleship Gray with USS San Jacinto CVL-30 written there. This is a display focused on one notable aviator and a mission he flew in 1944. He got shot down, picked up by a submarine, and later came to Midland and became a prominent businessman and eventually the 41st president of the United States. The exhibit has a little about young George H.W. Bush the response to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Grumman Avenger that he flew, and the campaign and mission they were undertaking at the time. And there's a little about USS Finback, SS-230. But the centerpiece is the hangar floor with their collection of aircraft. Uh, As to be expected from the CAF, most of them are airworthy. They have quite a few T-6 Texans, a couple of them done up in Imperial Japanese colors as part of the Tora 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 Squadron. It's tightly packed, though, so it's easy to bump your head on something if you're not paying attention. Ah, ah, ah. Um, also present. <laughs> That's what Torah means in Japanese. Ah, I hit my head. Also present is an F-14 Fast Eagle 102, the first on to score a kill when it shot down a Libyan Su-22 flying off USS Nimitz in the 1981 Gulf of Sidra incident or is it cedra cedra i think cedra okay they also have some information on the target ranges giant kalish outlines i don't know what that is kalish uh, drawn out in the desert they have a pilot that knows where several are and likes to locate them when he flies i found a paper that discusses them their history and how they've fared in the years since. And I have a feeling that Liz is probably looking up the definition of that word. Oh, I am. I don't. Oh, you haven't found it yet? Okay. Not yet. Sorry. Um, there's also one of those concrete. Kalish is a mineral deposit of gravel, sand, and nitrates found in dry areas of America. And it's another no- term for calcrete. Never oh. heard of it. You can ask me what calcrete is now. I don't know what calcrete <laughs> is. <laughs> it's concrete it's, in California. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A breccia or conglomerated some conglomerate cemented together by uh, calcareous material formed in soils in semi arid conditions. And you think you listen to the show and you don't learn anything? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There Ding. you go. Ding. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's just make sure we get that. The learning bell. Uh, oh, there's also one of those concrete arrows over in Odessa, the ones that were used to mark airmail routes. And uh, we were just talking about those concrete arrows um, a few minutes ago. Uh, so there you go. Quite a bit of aviation history around this area. If you ever find yourself here or traveling Interstate 20, consider pulling off and checking it out. Mm. This is the Texas and Shock signing off. Cool. Very nice. Uh, another museum tour from I'm sure they have uh, RV parking, Jeff. Reporter, I'm sure they have RV parking. I mean, there's a lot of room in Texas parked them RVs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
I'm sure I'll be doing a lot of that. Okay, now let's uh, continue on with uh, feedback from Chattanooga Tim. And he, uh, the subject is your retirement plan. Uh, if you ever decide to hit Norway, start in Bergen. Oslo isn't all that exciting, except it's the capital. That building is in Bergen, the one that he included uh, in his feedback. And I had a laugh seeing the name. Okay, so the name that he's referring to, not spelled exactly the way I do, but probably pronounced the same, Nielsen, N-I-L-S-S-E-N. There's no Norwegians. uh, They they have a weird way of spelling things, I think. Um, He said, I hit M.M. a few weeks ago. They found what I had pre-ordered for my meal. Laugh out loud. So what? I don't understand what that means. What's M.M.? I don't know what M.M. is. I don't know what M.M. is either. Hmm. Tim, you got to help us out. Yeah, Tim, you have to send him more feedback and explain yourself. MM, I hit MM a few weeks ago. Um, maybe it was one of the places that um, we went to the last time I was there with uh, with um, First Officer, now Captain Heron, Captain Brent. Um, I don't remember the name of the place, but that may have been initials. Maybe a restaurant. Yeah, like a seafood restaurant that uh, we went to. I don't know. I'm just guessing. All right. Thank you, Tim. Um, continuing, and he's just up the road in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's only about an hour and a half drive from where I am. Um, we have some audio feedback from uh, Jim Fulton, and uh, we noted that he was here with us in the chat room earlier. I don't know if he's still there or not, Uh, but uh, while we figure that out, we're going to go ahead and play some audio feedback that he sent us. Hi, Jeff and the crew. Long-time listener and occasional chat room attendee Jim Fulton here. I'm not flight crew, but did spend a couple of years working at an airport dispatching Acme aircraft at Edinburgh, amongst the EasyJets and Ryanairs, though we only saw the venerable Boeing 767 there. Sorry, Captain Nick. These days, I can only say that I'm a lifelong enthusiast and photographer, living in the beautiful Cotswolds, around an hour away from Heathrow, but very close to those pesky Yanks who appear from time to time at my local airfield, Fairford. I have two questions, really. One is for Jeff. And it's, will you mourn the angry puppy when it's finally replaced by the Montreal mongrel, the Airbus A220? I know you'll be retired by then, but just wondered. The second question is, what are your opinions of the aircraft I have booked on this coming winter? I'm travelling with a friend from London Heathrow to Miami, Florida, to photograph the myriad of South and Central American carriers operating from there. We wanted to take the opportunity to fly on different metal than the usual Boeing 777, 787 or Airbus 330 or 380. So we booked with a well-known German airline, flying in the wrong direction at first, to experience the majestic Boeing 747-8 westbound and the Airbus A340-600 eastbound. Woohoo! Relatively short connection times out of London Heathrow, but hey, what could possibly go wrong? I know Captain Nick flew the A340-600, and Miami Rick flies boxes on the Boeing 747-8. Can you all give me your thoughts on this crazy routing, 
and let's see some real Boeing versus Airbus facts versus fiction. Keep the blue side up all. Jim. All right. The the bashing, huh? He wants it to continue. Is that what we're we're hearing now so. from Jim? Is Jim uh, still with us in the uh, chat? Has he made himself? Um, no, I don't see him. Yeah. Okay. Well, it would be a bit one-sided, any bang bashing at the moment, because we haven't seen Rick to hold up his end, as it were, for a few um That is something to shows, see, to yeah. hold, when he holds up his, his end. End, yeah, indeed. Well, he has to be a bit <laughs> careful, particularly when he's ironing. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, we missed the, uh, the, the, the bashing of the Airbus and the bashing of the Boeing. Oh, what? No, I take that back. We get a lot of Boeing bashing since Rick is <laughs> uh, not here. To... Very mild. Come on. Mm. Uh, the, the occasional dig. That's all you get. Occasional what? Dig. Oh, dig. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you, Jim for sending in the feedback and uh, you'll have to let us know how the, uh, how the trip goes. I know you've made some good yeah, plans. Yeah, you better enjoy that uh, 340. But are you going to miss the, it when the angry puppy gets retired? That oh, yeah, that's right. His first uh, question was regarding the angry puppy. Um, am I going to uh, be sad because of the, what do you call it, the Canadian mongrel, the Montreal mongrel? <laughs> well, that, I've Love never it. heard that <laughs> reference to the uh, Airbus 220. Um but uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll it'll be sad when the the old diesel nine is uh, finally put out oh, to pasture. Uh, but I have a feeling that uh, the DC nine and its many um, variants over time uh, will continue to be flying all over the world, just like the DC threes. Uh, you know, you can still find them around this world, even some of them doing a lot of good air work uh, still. Buffalo um, Airways up in the Northwest so Territory. So I don't know. You know, we'll see um, see what happens to the, the, little, the, the little mad puppy. But the latest I've heard at uh, Acme, it's going to be in service for at least a few more years, possibly as far as uh, maybe going uh, all the way to 2030. So it could be another you know, something between five and 10 years before we finally see Acme get rid of them and, and uh, somebody else pick them up and beat us over the head with them, maybe. Uh, that's what happened with the the DC-9-30s uh, that we had because uh, back in the day when they were having some issues with some rapid decompressions and, um, you know, getting holes in the, in the uh, fuselage skin, um, and the whole focus by the public was, uh, these things are unsafe. And so Acme decided let's get rid of all of our DC nines because the, the public, um, uh, feeling about it is that they're not safe to travel in. And so we got rid of them all. And then a little, uh, little cheeky, uh, airline named, um, value jet bought them all. And they proceeded to, and they were based in Atlanta, and they proceeded to beat us over the head with with those DC-9s. And that's all they were flying, those DC-930s. And uh, they had a cute little, like a little airplane character that they came up with. And uh, they were just having all kinds of fun. And they were charging a lot less than Acme was for the same flight segments. And uh, I think that Acme learned a big lesson there, that if you... Get rid of your airline airliners again. Make sure that you destroy them or sell yeah, them to somebody them else that are going to use them for like cargo or something. But uh, yeah, that was a 
that was a lesson well learned by Acme back in the day, back in the 90s. All right. Um, Next two are great feedback. Great. Uh, okay. Let's uh, continue with uh, this from Sam, Sam Dawson. Um, some advice for Dingleberry. Uh, in episode 580, you gave some great advice to an anonymous, anonymous person who was struggling with the upgrade at an airline. Some thoughts. One, if you're the flying pilot during an emergency, try to turn over the flight controls to the first officer after things have settled down. For example, during an engine failure, once the initial steps have been run and the autopilot's on, most captains will turn over the controls to the first officer. This way, a captain is better able to manage an emergency while maintaining SA, situational awareness. It can be very hard to fly and manage at the same time. Two, in the words of an Italian driver, what's a behind this doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's tough to compartmentalize and put mistakes behind us, but it's critical to prevent being overwhelmed. I once had a professional golfer as a flight student. I don't golf or follow golfing, but I did while he was still actively playing. I noticed during one tournament that a single shot cost him $100,000. I brought this up to him during our next lesson, much to his consternation. Quote, like I didn't know it, and my wife didn't remind me when I got home, he responded. Yeah, I had to make a guy cry again. I know. Thank you, <laughs> to honey. remind him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your confidence uh, in me. you just lose 100000 on? Oh, yeah. Dear, Sam. He then mentioned what separated great golfers, such as Tiger Woods, from the average pro golfers, such as himself, was the ability to put a bad shot behind you. He said players such as Woods. Uh, hang on a minute. It Putting a bad shot behind you uh, <laughs> makes it even harder to get to the hole, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, depends on what kind of shot you're putting behind you. Uh, he said players such as Woods would make a poor shot, coldly analyze it, and then move on. My student would make a poor shot and dwell on it. As pilots, we need to be more like the Woods and try to compartmentalize the mistakes until we get to the bar. Three, often there is not a perfect solution to a problem. There may even be several solutions, none of which are ideal. One of my emergencies took place in the northeast U.S. I had to shut down an engine during a winter nor'easter and divert. As I analyzed possible diversion airports, a few were obviously poor choices. Those below minimums or those with strong crosswinds on contaminated runways but many of the others were similar. Some had better visibility but lower ceilings, while others had lower visibility but higher ceilings. All had blowing snow and contaminated runways. None were VFR. The scenario was later incorporated into training at my airline for just this reason. Also, you pointed out solicit feedback. I once had a captain who told me, two outside, two inside. And we actually use that same term in ACME when we talk about emergencies, meaning talk to the dispatcher and ATC, which are the two outside, and the FO and the FAs uh, inside. Also, when soliciting feedback, don't tell the FO your preference. Maybe give three possible solutions and ask their opinion. That way, they don't just agree with you, but they may give some insights you had not thought about. And five, lastly... Lastly, in addition to studying systems, study CRM. 
Not necessarily the dry technical studies of CRM and the acronyms, but case studies. There are many examples of poor, both poor and good CRM. Read them, listen to the podcasts about them. Even after over 35 years of flying, I still try to learn from accidents and the lessons of others, both good lessons and bad lessons. Good luck to you, and I hope you overcome this small hump in your career. For the APG crew, keeping the sunny side up and the dirty side down, Sam. Well done, Sam. Yeah, great advice, sir. Yeah, that's just like your eggs, isn't it? Sunny side up, dirty side down. Exactly. Um, uh, and also, um, uh, some more advice, uh, feedback regarding um, uh, Mr. D. Berry, Dingleberry, uh, episode 580. This comes to us from Tim Q, Tim Qualls in Arkansas. Uh, listening to episode 580 and Mr. Barry's problem of worrying about not being able to figure out solutions to problems made me think of Rick Ankiel, who is expected to be the next best thing in the Major League Baseball, MLB. Uh, he was a real hot shot pitcher. However, he ended up throwing a bad pitch once, and after that, began to throw wild pitches almost consistently. He said he had pinpoint accuracy in the bullpen, but once he stepped to the plate, he became so concerned about not pitching badly that it made it impossible to pitch a strike to the point he ended up having to give up his position as a pitcher and moved to the outfield, I believe. So maybe there is something there for Mr. Barry. It's obvious you're a very knowledgeable pilot given how far along in the industry you've gotten so far, so you know what needs to be done. I don't believe I'd have any second thoughts about riding on any plane you're piloting because I'd have enough confidence that you would make the right decisions. It sounds as though you've let yourself get too focused on not getting it right, that it clouds your ability, that I'm sure you have, to do what is needed uh, correctly. One other non-pilot area lesson I've learned that might help out also, I'm assuming you go through these different scenarios in your head from time to time to practice them. One of the best lessons I've learned about practicing magic, Tim is a magician. Not to compare being a magician with with being a pilot, obviously anyone can be a pilot, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is that when you have the moves learned and are working on the whole routine, if you make a mistake, don't stop and start over. We don't get to do that in a real performance, so uh, you shouldn't do it in practice. So if you're rehearsing scenarios in your head and find that you did something wrong, instead of getting down on yourself and starting it back over, decide what you have to, what you have to do now to fix the issues. Another magic lesson, sorry for using magic instead of flying, but I know more about one than the other, uh, is that we have all heard it said that the hand is quicker than the eye, which is honestly a line of stuff to make it seem like we are more talented than we are. The truth is, if we do something fast, you're more likely to be suspicious of it. And I teach anyone when they're starting to learn magic tricks, slow. Speed will come later, but more important is being smooth and doing it correctly. This goes along with what others have said about taking time to diagnose what the issues are first before just trying to start fixing things. As you practice scenarios in your head, or if you're lucky enough to have a friend who can throw scenarios at you, be more focused on taking the time slowly to go through the steps you need that you need to do instead of trying to do them fast. Eventually, I believe they will become automatic for you and the speed and smoothness will be there. And this happens a lot 
more quickly than most people imagine they will. Maybe this will help or at least uh, be encouraging, even though it's not technically very aviation oriented. And again, that was from Tim Qualls. And no, I mean, I I think it's always good to have analogies uh, to help us understand things and concepts. And uh, I think you did a great job, Tim. UH Blackhawk is agreeing here. Okay. Yeah. UH Blackhawk in our live audience. I agree. Who would think good flying advice from magic? (laughs) Sometimes, Uh, though, I think that flying is like magic, right? I'm sorry, I talked yeah. over you, Nick. Go ahead, say that again. That's all right. I think all good pilots are magicians. Yeah, and uh, a lot of times we, when we, we were talking about some of our computer systems and the auto flight systems and everything else, we <laughs> just call it pure effing magic. <laughs> yeah, <it's very> <laughs> or instead of automation, we call it ad, uh, auto auto magic or something like that. Yeah, that doesn't sound right now that I've said it. Anyway, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Hope everything's going well for you in Arkansas. I'm sure it's a little warm there. Arkansas. Or Arkansas. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Nick, I, I should have said that too, so you understood what we were uh, talking about. Yeah, I get confused. I <laughs> All right. Um, how are we doing with time, Liz? Are we still... Uh, we're about seven minutes from the two-hour mark. Oh, so really? Okay, we're great. We're making, uh, we're making good time here. Um, let's continue with this feedback from Paul in Ohio. Good afternoon, Airline Pilot Guy Show. How's everybody? Hopefully you're doing awesome. I have a pet peeve. Yes, not only Jeff has pet peeves, but I do too. <laughs> Especially when the captain says, flaps five, and the officer says, okay, and does the action. What happened to three-way communication where the first officer is supposed to repeat what he thought he heard, and then the captain would correct him if needed corrected? Three-part communication, that all could have been avoided. Here's why it's my pet peeve, because I used to work in the nuclear field. In the control room, three-way communication. That's the best way to do it. Not just in the control room, but everywhere in the plant. Anyway, this is that flight from Maui we're all talking about. Um, Maui. I'm supposed to, I was supposed to be going there in a week and a half, but... This might turn into a volunteer mission. That is, if uh, I can figure out how to go volunteer. No, I'm not doing Red Cross, none of that stuff. I'd rather get the money right to the people, not to the organization. Anyway, that's my two cents. What all do you say about my comments, my rants, my raves? Have a great day, everybody. Awesome show as usual. Thanks, Paul. And it was nice seeing you when you came down uh, from Ohio and uh, joined us in Atlanta for the meetup with uh, A320 Matt. And uh, it was it was nice. It was nice getting caught up with you. Um, so what I would say is uh, that I agree with the uh, the communication uh, aspect, and that there are certain things at Acme where we're required to read back um, certain instructions given to us by air traffic control and that kind of thing. And also inside the cockpit, if we were given a clearance to cross an active runway, we're supposed to verbalize that clearance uh, so that everybody knows what we're thinking inside the cockpit. But they don't delineate exactly when you should, you know, repeat something that was uh, directed or instructed uh, by the other person. But I think it is personally a good idea 
to uh, when somebody uh, asks for a configuration change that you do verbalize. And this may be standard operating procedure in a lot of different airlines out there where, you know, if I call for, you know, gear up, um, I don't believe that's one of those that is required for the other, the non, the pilot monitoring to say gear up, but I always do. I always repeat what the other person is saying, just in case I may have misheard what the, um, the challenge was or the instruction or direction was. Uh, I, the reason why I say that is because I remember many, many years ago, uh, as a co-pilot on the 727 coming into Atlanta, we were like probably still 20 25 miles. It was quite a ways away from the airport, landing to the uh, to the east. And I thought the captain told me to lower the landing gear. I, th- I thought he said gear down. And so I think, well, it's a little early, but okay. And then I put the handle down. As soon as I put, <laughs> got about halfway lowering the gear handle, I thought to myself, he, I feel like somebody is staring at me in, in a not nice way. And I kind of looked over at him and he's looking at me. And I said, you didn't ask me to lower the gear, did you? And he said, no. <laughs> went, oh, sorry. Do you want me to put it back up? And he goes, no, leave it down. <laughs> so, I mean, that, you know, it kind of gets loud, and but it even got louder when you lowered the, uh, the uh, landing gear. Uh, but um, so if I had said gear down, maybe he would have said, no, I did not. I did not say that. Please don't do that. Uh, but um, yeah, um, UH Blackhawk again in our live audience uh, talks about, again, referring to this Maui situation. Flaps 20 takeoff is not very common. I think there was an exception bias, uh, expectation bias by both pilots. Yep, for sure. That's a, that's a, that is a thing. Uh, the FO assumed he would move the flaps one click 20 to 15, as he usually does going to from 15 to five or five to one. Anyway, so that definitely was, a, I'm sure, a factor in this whole thing. But I don't know, for you, Nick, um, when you were flying for Virgin, was that kind of a, uh, a standard operating procedure for you to um, repeat um, the instruction to move the flaps to a certain setting or put the gear up or down or whatever? Not so much to repeat the command, but there was definitely a very formalized uh, throughout the entire Airbus world, not just our, our airline. Um, way of um, moving systems and operating, uh, doing checklists. The and the responses uh, were very clearly laid down. And if you're an Airbus pilot, every Airbus pilot did it the same. So you could actually walk into an Airbus cockpit, probably with almost any Airbus airline in the world, and you'd get 90% of the calls right because the odd airline had a slightly different way. So the usual thing if you were called for a, service someone would call flaps one you would look and check the speed of the aircraft to make sure it conformed with the uh, flat one that you're about to select for the pilot and then you would select it and call back flat one uh, so you got he got both first of all he confirmed that you'd check the speed which is what he should have done as well so you both now check the speed and now you put it to the position he called if you said something different he could obviously uh change his command or uh, correct your error very good and i'm i i have a feeling that that's probably quite true for most of the uh airlines operating out there today um yeah, we tended to – we started off with a lot of our own SOPs because we had a lot of Boeing guys uh, 
on the on the Airbus when we started, and they tended to want to do things the old Boeing way. But uh, the company quite quickly realized that uh, if a mistake was made on the flight deck that left them open to litigation, it was much better <laughs> to have used the manufacturer's SOPs rather than your own because <laughs> shift the liability. You could then point <laughs> to the manufacturer and go, well, that's what they told us to say. Yeah, they told us to do that. <laughs> or do. So, yeah, so, they're uh, responsible. We slowly, all our books were, were modified over the years back to what Airbus wanted. Yeah, I think that same thing happened over here as well. The lawyers went in there and went, "Okay, we suggest that you do it like this." Quite honestly, there was there was nothing really wrong with Airbus SOPs. It's just that you know people just wanted to try and keep a little bit of commonality between Boeing and Airbus because if you switch fleets, then it wouldn't be quite so hard. But I don't know. I never switch fleets, so I don't know. Now, Paul, I do remember you talking about um, when we were having uh, dinner the night before the meetup uh, that you had plans to uh, head over to Maui for a vacation. And uh, in fact, I believe you said you were even thinking about renting an RV, like a small, you know, a camper van and kind of exploring the island of Maui. Um, and so uh, when this horrible fire happened in Lahaina, um, I thought of you and wondering, oh, uh, in fact, I think I reached out to you and said, how's that Maui vacation plan going? And uh, he mentioned to me at the time that he was thinking about going anyway and trying to help with the uh, with the recovery of the, of the city over there. So uh, you'll have to let us know if you ended up actually heading over there and, uh, you know, have, and kind of give us a firsthand, you know, boots on the ground kind of report from, uh, from Maui. Um, great, uh, question, Paul, thanks for sending in the audio feedback. We do appreciate it. And, uh, do you want to go and do Micah's one now, Jeff? Yeah, let's do, sure absolutely. Six, let's go to 16. Micah's, uh, feedback number 16. Um, so, um, I think really not much of a setup here. I think the best thing for me to do right here is to throw it to our main man, Micah. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Do you remember when you were out here, I think it was the last time, and we had lunch on a ferry boat? Yeah, on a ferry boat. DeMillo's ferry boat that happens to be a restaurant. Well, that lunch was so good, and it's a place I enjoy anyway, that when Major Rick Bell and his beautiful wife, Erin, decided to come into town, I said, let's go have dinner on the ferry boat and go to DeMillo's. So here we are. Thought with a little meetup, and we thought we'd bring the meetup to you. So, Major Rick, it's been forever since I've seen you, and you're looking great. What brought you up here to Portland? We're on vacation, Micah. Thank you so much for uh, having us and being such a gracious host. It's been awesome being up here with you. So, uh, no, we're up here on vacation. So, we're doing a little tour of uh, New England. So, Boston and Portland, and we did uh, Salem, Massachusetts. It was incredible. It's been such a nice such a nice time. Such a nice week. Well, I know really what brought you here to Maine. And, you know, what's here in Maine is uh, we have a lot of moose up here in Maine. And, and you're a moose driver. Yes, I'm a moose driver. That's right. So, uh, former Herx, now moose. <laughs> so, I, I, I got I to ask you, Aaron, how do you deal with a moose driver like this every day? He, he's so difficult to deal with. You know, you, you can't shut him up, can you? Never. I can never shut him up. <laughs> he likes talking to everybody, and I usually just walk away. <laughs> 
Well, he's a great guy, and we're glad he's talking to us. So where do you head from here? You came up from Boston, and you're here in Portland for a little bit. What are the plans for the next few days? So we're going to go into a uh, oyster tour. Uh, oyster farm tour. Oyster farm. Yeah, oyster farm tour uh, tomorrow. And we're going to go, uh, yeah, be in the water all day tomorrow. Come back here. We're going to go get lost in the city again. And then on uh, Thursday, we're going to go back down to Boston. And um, we are going to go see the Feast of the Saint of St. Anthony. In the North End. Yeah, in the North End. Yeah. <laughs> in the North End. And we're going to go back to Boston for a little while. And then uh, we'll be home probably Saturday. Okay, so I got to ask you at least one airplane question since this is the Airline Pilot Guy podcast as well as the Journey is a Reward podcast. So I'm going to ask you a question about something you told me about a little bit earlier while we were having dinner because dinner's over now. Tell me a little bit about invasion stripes, what they are, and what's happened. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you, so this is supposed to be a secret, but but no, no, not at all. So um, the 911th Airlift Wing has uh, painted invasion stripes on a C-17. So uh, aircraft 3292, you can probably look it up on the internet. And um, yeah, they look amazing. The only C-17 in the world that has invasion stripes on it. It's kind of a secret. You guys know about it now, so. <laughs> well, it's not a secret anymore. And I did see some pictures and boy, does that plane look special. It looks really good, so uh, it's out there flying in the world, so keep an eye out. I know there's a lot of airplane spotters out there so that are going to be really excited to go get pictures of it, so it's it's really good-looking airplane. And Aaron, I want to ask you one question, because, and, and you don't have to answer it, and I can edit it out if you want me to, but Rick flies all over the world in his Moose, in his C-17, and what's it like being at home, not necessarily knowing where he is or how long he's going to be? How do you handle that? It's part of the reason why we work so well together is that I kind of came to this understanding when we got together and that I kind of just give him the freedom to be out there on his own. And I just all I ask from him is text messages to let me know when he lands, when he's taking off. So there may be weeks at a time where we don't really talk other than text messages coming back and forth. So. Well, that makes for a very special and wonderful relationship. And you guys are a great couple, and I'm so glad that you're my friends. And I'm so happy to see you. And thanks so much for coming out and visiting with me today. It was great to see you. Oh, my God. It was so nice to see you, man. So it's been too long. Uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh was the last time we saw each other, I guess, from what we figured out, right? So, uh, man, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having us, being such a gracious host, and what a great restaurant. Thanks so much again. And Jeff, back to you in the studio. I got it. Thank you, Micah. Great report. Um, And yeah, Wings Over Pittsburgh 2017. That was more than six years ago that we we met in Pittsburgh. Uh, Rick, uh, Captain Rick at the time was uh, the air boss or somebody uh, very high up in the uh, in the hierarchy of uh, arranging for and planning for and executing the uh, wings over Pittsburgh plan, the 9-11th um, airlift wing, reserve airlift wing, I guess they call it. And uh, anyway, now it's Major Bell. I think he's more of a major pain, actually. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> just kidding, Rick. Haven't heard, I haven't seen him myself in, in quite, After quite a while. After Major comes Dinger. <laughs> really? Okay. Dinger Major Bell. Dinger, yeah. Dinger Bell. Okay. Dinger Bell. 
Um, so uh, he mentioned, um, I thought that was quite interesting what he said about the invasion stripes. And so I did a little research of my own and stumbled on upon some of those images that uh, Liz was showing uh, while we were listening to the meetup audio. And I have uh, a video that I'd like to play, Liz. So I'm going to pop that into the stream. Whoa. Kind of loud. Isn't it? Sorry. It's just very loud music in the background here. No narration. But it kind of shows a time lapse of them painting uh, the... Uh, various parts of the airplane with the invasion stripes. I thought it was quite interesting in the article I was reading. It said that they used um, screen ink. So I know what screen ink is. It's plastisol. That's what you use for screen printing, uh, like T-shirts and other items. And I thought, wow, that I would have thought that they would have used some kind of a paint that you you know buy and use to paint airplanes with and not screen printing it maybe maybe i'm Is misunderstanding it so they can peel it off in a hurry if they no i don't think they need to do something operational i i don't think so uh because plastisol okay. once it's been once it's been cured so this might be something else maybe they're just using the word screen ink and to mean something else but screen printing ink for it to be a permanent thing you got to kind of cure it uh with um was it infrared um, oh wow! Heat it does look good, though. Yeah, it does look good. It looks very nice. Looking at those it, invasion it's stripes. It's funny to think that actually uh, on the real aircraft that participated on D-Day, with these markings on, they were very crudely put on in a big hurry because it was very secret what was going to happen, and they all got their orders to paint the aircraft with these strange stripes. Uh, very late in the day, and uh, so a lot of it, they weren't beautifully masked. It was just a paintbrush and a big paintbrush and was slapping paint on all these aeroplanes <laughs> just to get some stripes on it. Maybe that's why they use green ink instead of uh, yeah. like, well, you we, know. We've turned it into an art form where it all looks absolutely pristine. Of course. Yeah. Um, so uh, apparently the, uh, the, the I'll, I'll link the uh, news story that I found regarding why the 9-11th decided to do this with one of their C-17s. Yeah. Neil wonders if they're planning on invading <laughs> someone soon. <laughs> well, um, I'm not sure that we can actually discuss that, Neil. Um, <laughs> but um, well, yeah, uh, Mr. Bell was sorry. Uh, Major Bell was trying to keep it secret. Yeah, well, it turns out that it's not a secret at all. They started uh, painting <laughs> uh, the airplane in June, I believe, and uh, June 6th is the uh, D-Day um, date, and the 79th anniversary was this this year uh, on June 6th, and then. Uh, they're going to have the uh, invasion stripes, and this is an honor of D-Day, by the way. And they're going to keep the um, invasion stripes on this particular uh, tail number until the anniversary, the 80th anniversary of D-Day on June cool. 6, 2024. And then they'll take Very them off. Good. I think they're only allowed to use them for like a year. Uh, so oh, really? that's like a regulation out there with invasion stripes. So uh, our control room producer... Uh, Liz is suggesting that we do two more and then uh, wrap it up for today's episode. And the first one that she's thinking about us covering would be the audio feedback from uh, JJ Pittsburgh. And so uh, we always enjoy uh, here. Uh, by the way, 
Uh, he usually records while he's in a car, and uh, I did my best to fix the audio here because the road noise was almost so bad, so loud that you couldn't hear what you were saying, JJ. So um, I, I put it through um, one of the uh, applications, uh, sound repair applications, and hopefully you'll be able to hear them without a problem. But uh, that might be why it kind of sounds a little bit wonky. But uh, without um, any further delay, we're going to go ahead and listen to this audio from JJ Pittsburgh. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh here. As you may have figured out, I'm on the road once again. Um, anyway, I'm uh, doing well. It's a beautiful day for a drive heading south. And um, I'll be doing, well, I started to record a podcast of my own. So I'll definitely give more details whenever that happens because hey, why not? Maybe you guys will give me a plug. Um, We'll try to gather some listeners together. But at any rate, um, I had a question regarding hygiene in the cockpit. So, family show, family show. So anyway, there was a commercial where the one actor's pretending to be a pilot and he makes a joke about his co-pilot smelling bad. So I wondered if any of you pilots have dealt with that issue where a co-pilot, or maybe um, if you were a co-pilot at the time, maybe the captain actually um, had bad body odor, or in the case of maybe like uh, heavy cologne, and that was like irritating, Um, or the other... Um, side question was is cologne even allowed to be worn in the cockpit due to like maybe allergic reactions of other people I was wondering if that's even allowed I'm guessing probably not but who knows that's why I'm asking the experts Um, if you did have that situation where the the person um, had an issue with that did you address it with them or how did you deal with it Anyway, that's pretty much all I had. I was just thinking of that randomly when I heard that commercial. Excuse me, commercial. So, anyway, I will catch you soon. And peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> peace and love, peace and love. Hey, I've, I guess I missed that commercial, JJ. I don't know. I'm not sure what he's talking about there. Your favorite commercial is Shingles Doesn't Care. Oh, yeah. Shingles Doesn't Care is my favorite commercial. And I'm sure that I can find Shingles it. Shingles Doesn't Care. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, what's a, a love pizza? I've never had one of those. Peace and pizza love. love. Peace and oh, love. Peace and oh, okay, right. Uh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, you knew <laughs> you knew what that meant. Um, so you're not fooling me. So hang on. He wanted to ask some experts. Hang on. Staff, are there any experts here Body today? Body experts? No. No, no experts. Well, I don't know. Darn it. Well, maybe. We've all got body odor one way or another. <laughs> I, I have not personally ever had a situation where I flew with somebody who had very strong body odor, nor have I ever flown with somebody who had like an overwhelming amount of, um, well, I take that back. I have maybe once or twice flown with an FO that that kind of overdid it a little bit on the, uh, the old, uh, cologne or whatever, but, uh, sex Panther, uh, sex Panther. Yes. That is a nasty stuff. 
uh, that's from that movie called uh, Anchorman. Um, the uh, what was the he was a sports guy, right? That uh, had all yes, those uh, uh, fancy colognes. I forgot what his character's name was, but he Hold had on, he had some really apparently very strong uh, cologne called Sex Panther. Um, but uh, that and that was many many years ago. I in recent decades. I don't recall ever being in a situation where I thought, because, you know, you're in a small space, especially in the little mini uh, dog, little uh, angry puppy, um, which is the Boeing 717 or the MD-95 more appropriately or more accurately. Uh, But um, no, fortunately, I've not had that situation. Now, I do remember (laughs) there was, um, and thankfully, I never... Uh, had the opportunity to fly with this FO, but, uh, and I'm not going to mention the gender. There was a, an FO who was a, and I'll probably mess up by using the wrong pronoun, um, was the, um, was a vegetarian. And this FO apparently, um, had a lot of pressure in her lower Gastro and I think you just mentioned the gender. Oh shoot! <laughs> I knew you were waiting for me to do it. Yeah, okay. It was. Well, anyway, yeah, it was. It was a. It doesn't matter though. I mean, it could have been a male. Uh, in this case, it was a female. But it, she was. I mean, everybody knew her name, and it was like, "Have you ever flown with so and so?" Thankfully, I never did. I think. I, I think. Well, I'm not even going to say what her name is. Uh, and uh, but apparently, she just let these things fly, like a lot and they said it was noxious the the uh the emissions uh mainly because of her diet and and uh and and it was like one of those things where the chief pilot office uh, pilot's office knew all about it and had a lot of complaints and everything else and I'm thinking oh man I'm not sure what's going to happen when I have to fly with this person but I never did thankfully so Jeff Brian um, Fantana well, the one thing you want to make sure you don't do is light a match. Yes, you got to be very, very careful. Those are definitely um, uh, flammable gases. Uh, what was the name of the uh, uh, Bri- character? Brian Fantana. Brian Fantana. And that was yeah. a character name, right? That not was a character. The, it was Paul Rude. Paul Rude. Oh, yeah, that's right. Paul Rude. How could you forget that? Uh, Brian Fantana was the character in uh, Anchorman. Great movie. Really, Great really movie. stupid comedy, but I love it. I love stupid yeah, I love comedies. Uh, anyway, um, so that's my experience, my anecdotal experience regarding uh, either, you know, uh, very strong um, odors, whether they be uh, pleasant or not so much. What about Nick? How about you, Nick? Uh, no, never never really had to worry about uh, body odor from any of my work colleagues, although we did have one famous uh, flight service manager who um, she was notorious. I've mentioned a few stories about her uh, before, making an inappropriate PA down to the crew rest to wake up the cabin crew that went all around the cabin. Do you remember that story? I think so, yeah. Anyway, same woman. uh, We were at the top of the sensor, we're all strapped in, and uh, she's just uh, done her final check, and she's just popping in to uh, clear up uh, everything uh, that we might have left in the flight deck, you know, all the cups and stuff. Anyway, she she goes and clears that up, hands the tray to someone else, and then she backs in 
backwards through the door. Let's rip. <laughs> and then giggling like a maniac, runs out and slams the door and leaves us with the whiff. So she'd obviously been saving that one up for a while. Oh, UH wow. Blackhawk has a good one here. Uh, UH Blackhawk says, I did make the mistake of having a loaded burrito for lunch prior to a sim period. <laughs> Instructor called it early. Ooh, what a great strategy. <laughs> That's a good trick. I like that. Oh, hey, trick. I'm really, really sorry, but yeah. I just can't control it. And yeah, let's 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 just go ahead and end this period and get out of here. Very funny. Very funny. Love All it. right. Um, so um JJ, uh, thanks for uh sending the uh, feedback. Was there anything else that he Address- podcast. Oh, yeah, the, um, he. I, I knew that he was thinking about starting a podcast, and he asked for for my help with that several months ago. And I said at the time that I was a little bit too busy to get into too much detail about it. But uh, ring me up again, JJ, and and see if I can you know help you, uh, or maybe you got better advice from somebody else. But I've been doing the podcasting thing for a while, so uh, and I've just about figured it out. Not quite, but I'm I'm getting there. Um. All right, let's uh, finish up with uh, item number 15, Nick, from Stanimal. Uh, <laughs> I, enjoy Captain Je- I enjoyed Captain Jeff's joke in a recent episode. Captain Nick was talking about his old friend, Bob, and I heard Jeff snickering, is that your uncle? <laughs> Nobody else reacted at the time, but I thought it was pretty funny. I did too. Thank you, <laughs> Stan. <laughs> I thought... Wow, that went over like a lead balloon. Nobody even <laughs> snickered or anything. I think, I, I think because of the time lapse, I was probably um, talking over oh, you. I yeah. heard it. Yeah, Liz, Liz heard it and she didn't laugh. Um, oh, but, okay. um, well, but I didn't expect you, you to because you were in the midst of uh, explaining uh, the whole uh, thing about uh, Bob and his podcast and everything else. So I, I don't blame you for, for not <laughs> laughing. But, but Liz has no Liz, excuse. Come on. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Let I'll me down. Try not to laugh at you, Jeff. Uh, yeah, she, not not at me, Liz. Uh, with me. With me. Yeah, oh. laugh with me. All right. Um, so anyway, he says following up on feedback from a. Uh, thank you, Stan, again for for thinking that that was funny. I thought it was funny too. Following up on a feedback from a couple of years ago, I wanted to thank the APG crew and Stephen Ivy again for the discussion about deciding on a regional airline. After a year at SkyWest. I'm heading to training for the 747 at Atlas Air in a couple of months. It's been great to have APG syndrome throughout my training and career progression, to feel a part of the community, and to keep things in perspective, listening to the discussions of incidents and accidents. Thanks again, crew. Sincerely, Stan Call. And he calls himself Stanimal. He is an animal. Excellent. It's very nice of you to say so. Yeah, we do. We always appreciate, uh, you know, nice, nice things being said about what we we try to do. As as we mentioned facetiously, try know, we, being the operative word. Try, and we try to be informative and give our, you know, our reactions to and advice and you know relate to our experiences and our long careers of flying um, for the airlines and the military, uh, but. It, it doesn't hurt at times to to hear uh, positive feedback from people and and uh, and the great thing about I think about the airline pilot guy show is the fact that you know at least fifty percent you know fifty percent's a big number you know that's our accuracy uh, that we always strive for is fifty percent uh, but fifty percent of the content of our show we try to make it your content 
the uh, the people that are listening to the show. So we want you to Indeed. feel like this is as much your podcast as it is ours. In fact, it's probably more because there are a lot more of you out there than the crew. So we're just a minority. <laughs> we're the ones that talk all the time. But uh, we, get, we get a lot of great feedback from y'all out there. And uh, that's one of the things I think that we really have uh, tried uh, tried hard to to make it a community show, not just a talking heads. This is what we did and we're right about everything kind of show. We don't do that. I hope that you, uh, you get that impression. And uh, what I'm trying to say basically is thank you so much for being out there, not only listening to the show, supporting us financially, uh, supporting us by sending us feedback, but also correcting us when we need to be corrected, which is probably more a lot of the time yeah a lot of the time uh, we do try uh, you know to, to get it uh, right the first time but it's always uh, pleasing to me when I when we get uh, feedback from you saying well you didn't quite ma- match or make that 50% guarantee Jeff and this is why we love that we actually do so uh, thanks so much for being a big part of what we do here uh, our wonderful audience and um with that, I think that uh, maybe we should start our wrap-up. And uh, Nick, uh, well, first of all, I'll make sure that you know, I'm sure you do, uh, our website, Airline Pilot Guy. And, and it's you're going to see kind of a trend or a, a, a consistent theme here. Airline Pilot Guy, all one word, is the way that you can find us in a lot of different places, including our website. So uh, that's a great place to go and learn more about the crew and the community and the, uh, let's see, Plain Tales, more information, more detailed information there about that. Uh, we have an APG library if you're into reading some good books, mostly about aviation. Our librarian, Tiffany, uh, works hard to uh, manage that. Thank you, Tiff. And um, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her Tiff. I've never, I don't think I've ever done that before. Sorry. I'm um, in a Tiff with you. Yeah, she's now, she's in a Tiff and a Tizzy. Um, what else? We have... Um, information about oh we have merchandise if you want to get a like a acme airlines shirt we need to probably create some new stuff out there and you know some uh, nude stuff did you well nude stuff would be be good too um although that wouldn't require any merchandise so we just take off whatever you're wearing and that's it (laughs) maybe apg sunscreen apg APG sunscreen that could be very helpful if you're not wearing any clothing um no judgment Trust me, no judgment. And uh, what else do we have? What do we have over there on that website? We have the calendar. And we have, um, uh, you know, the way you can contact us either individually or if you're going to send feedback, we want you to use our feedback address, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. So check it out. And Nick is going to tell you all about our social media presence, our social meds. Yeah, we're pretty much there on uh, Meta or Facebook, so just look for Airline Pilot Guy there. And um, on X or uh, Twitter, as it used to be known, at APG Crew. And if you're into the Instas, which hasn't changed its name recently, um, APG Crew, no, at. There you go. And we, uh, if you want to take a deeper dive into a quasi social media thing, we can always ask our uh, expert at Slack. Um, his name is Hello? Hello, could you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. 
I know. That's always his response when I ask him that question. That's weird. All right. Well, come on over here and tell us all about it. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Great the soap. In the soap dish. You know, I thought he was a smart man, but apparently, yeah. uh, Also, Liz, join us, please, and show yourself Hello. in front of Hi, everybody. Liz. Thank you so much for all the hard work that you uh, do every week. And uh, I'm My looking pleasure. for the applause. Here we go. Applause button is Ray. activated. Thank you so much for all your hard work. We do appreciate it. A lot of things going on behind the scenes, uh, folks. Uh, and uh, Liz is a big part of it, so thank you very much for that. And uh, anything else to say before we uh, leave our our recording for today? Okay, well, uh, we look forward to seeing you again. I uh, hope you'll uh, stick us in your ear, and uh, uh, we can share all kinds of fun aviation-related stuff with you. And until then, looking, uh, well, no, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. How many times have you done I don't know. I still Bye, can't everybody. get it right. <laughs> See you next time, everyone. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly oh.